my friends, welcome back to Gardo Goes Geek. Today, in the first episode of Series 4 of this small and humble podcast, I'm going to be taking a look at the giant corporate merger uh, that is happening between Warner Brothers and Discovery, and look at specifically how that is affecting DC comics and films and also because I don't want to be dwelling completely on the negative I'm going to offer my own version of what I would do with the DCEU going forward so make sure to stick around for that please join me So, Warner Brothers, um, there's been a lot of news in geek circles about Warner Brothers pictures and Warner Media in the last few years. Um, some of it I've not, re- I've, I've not really talked about much of it. I'm not much of a, a news reacts podcast. I want to try and focus on like individual topics, um, episode to episode. But I have mentioned it, or, or mentioned elements of it, um, leading up till now. Um, the reason being that it has affected some of the things that I've spoken about. For example, the episode I did on Final Space. Final Space was cancelled because it was already on the cusp during Warner Brothers' first sale to AT&T, and then when Warner Media was sold to Discovery, it was one of the shows that was not picked back up at that point. Um, you know, and Olan Rogers spoke about this quite candidly, in fact, and said that certain people at Warner Media were fighting for Final Space, but it wasn't to be. Which is a shame, but, you know. As we'll soon learn, that's not the only thing that this has happened to. Um, And far from the only animated property that this has happened to. So, AT&T is a big American telecommunications company. I know very little about them, maybe because because I don't care. They don't make anything I'm interested in. Nothing that really affects me over here, at least as far as I'm aware. Um, They purchased Warner Brothers, Warner Media... Uh, well, I think Warner Media came. Uh, yeah, either way, they purchased Time Warner. Um, with the goal of gaining like a media empire. Now, obviously, Warner Brothers is a very long-lived movie studio. They have a lot of property under their belt including DC Comics as one of their subsidiaries, um, which gives them the full rights to the entire DC catalogue. But they also own, obviously, so, so many things. They own CNN, they own um, PBS, uh, you know, things like Sesame Street, Looney Tunes, um, the entire um, Turner Classics line of movies. You know, all of this are exist under Time Warner. And so, 
this was a big deal. This this deal was announced in twenty sixteen that um, AT and T were looking to buy Time Warner, um, and I think it was eventually approved by like twenty eighteen because big corporate mergers like this take a while to go through. Um, you know, for anyone who's following gaming, look at how long ago it was announced that. Activision Blizzard were being bought out by Xbox and the deal wasn't expected to close until the sort of the middle of next year. Um, you know, this is how long these things take. Um, you know, big deals like this have to be scrutinised. There's, there's chances for objections. They look at whether something provides a monopoly. Now, the merger of AT&T AT taking over Warner, it... You know, it was about as smooth as most corporate takeovers are, you know. Um, you know, several people lost their jobs and were made redundant and um, several executives were kind of parachuted out of the company, um, which is what happens. It's standard corporate nonsense. It's not something I'm a huge fan of, to be honest. Um, but it is what it is. Where it started to become an issue for a lot of people, well, firstly, there was the announcement of HBO Max. HBO Max being a, a streaming service designed to cater to the Warner catalogue, um, thereby removing it from other storefronts like Amazon Prime, Net Netflix... Um, and many other streaming services in other territories. Um, well, specifically in America, I think a lot of... I know in HBO Max isn't available in my country. I'm in the UK. Um, a lot of Warner's stuff ends up on Now TV over here, which is a UK-based streaming service. But saying that, we also don't have a lot of the selection that exists on HBO Max. HBO Max gives access to a wide range of stuff. I mean, for example, I know um, a lot of the Cartoon Network classics that I grew up with are on there. And I want to show them to my kids, and I can't because you can't stream them over here legally. Um, at least not as far as I'm aware. So that's a shame. One of the biggest headlines hit, though, um, during the COVID pandemic um, in 2020. Obviously, a lot of cinemas were shut. Um, a lot of movies couldn't be released. Um, you know, and things started to stagnate. Some things were released on HBO Max. Um but a lot of the big, bigger releases, things like uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet and Wonder Woman 1984, were held back until after that first wave of COVID ended and cinemas and theatres around the world started opening up again and they were released there. And, you know, they did quite well. Um, not pre-pandemic numbers. Obviously, people were still being careful. Um, but respectable numbers 
Then the second wave of COVID hit uh, in 2021. And someone at Warner made the decision, uh, which proved to be quite unpopular with a lot of people, um, made the decision to put all Warner films straight onto HBO Max with no extra charge. Now, this was a coup for HBO Max. You know, they got a lot of subscribers doing this. You know, you had films like Godzilla vs. Kong and Mortal Kombat and uh, the Zack Snyder Justice League, which was being released, um, you know, fi uh, finally after people had been demanding it for years online. Although... It now turns out that a lot of them may have been bots, which I think most people were kind of new or at least suspected. Um, and yeah, lots of other films as well. Um, obviously, those are the big ones that I was interested in. Those are the ones I remembered. Um, but I know Dune was one as well. Um, and I believe The Suicide Squad. And... This was very, very criticised by a lot of people in the industry. Um, Christopher Nolan was one of the biggest vocal detractors about this. He actually turned around and said that um, he went to bed the night before thinking he was ma making movies for one of the best, um, the best movie studios in the world only to wake up and find out he was making movies for the worst streaming service in the world, which is amazingly cutting um, and just shows that Warner Brothers managed to piss off one of their top talents. Like, Christopher Nolan had been making movies with Warner Brothers for you know, well over a decade by this point, a decade and a half, I think. Um, so, yeah, this was a... You know, and every one of his films has been successful, and every one of his films um, has, has made money based on his name alone. <laughs> and, yeah, he just kind of... Warner Brothers burnt all bridges with him almost overnight. That said, um, a lot of the movies that they started releasing, they they still did very well. Um, and obviously they were making money even in the cinemas and in territories, obviously, where HBO Max isn't a thing. They were making money. Um, so I don't think it hurt them too much in the long run. Despite being a widely criticised move. Then the announcement came that um, Warner Brothers was going to be sold to Discovery. Like Warner Media was going to be sold to Discovery. Um, not all of Warner Brothers. I think it's specifically Warner Media. The parts of the Time Warner Company still remain with AT&T, I believe. Um, a lot of news networks, I believe. Now, Discovery is 
a channel that's kind of been much maligned um, in recent decades. Um, Discovery used to be a channel that it was, it was one of the forefront cable channels I remember when I was a kid that did documentaries, um, science documentaries, history documentaries, the, the things that would teach you stuff. Um, but then it became the channel of crass reality television. It was things like 16 Kids and Counting, or how many kids they're on now. Um, Honey Boo Boo. Um, and endless, endless Shark Week documentaries. Um, and... You know... Uh, I think I think everyone has seen those memes of like when did Discovery stop making educational content? You know, when did Discovery become this? But it happened a while ago. And the guy behind it, who I'm gonna be talking about a lot in this, is David Zaslav. David Zaslav is the head of Discovery. And now that the sale of Warner Media to Discovery is complete he is now the manager, well, he's the, the boss, the CEO, the head, uh, the top creative guy and decision maker for Warner Brothers Discovery, which is what this abomination has now become. And like any new CEO, he, you know, any new boss that comes in, he has ideas on how he wants things done. You know, he wants to merge HBO Max with Discovery's own streaming network. He wants, um, you know, to cut costs on the expensive purchase of Time Warner by scrapping projects. He wants to refocus the content that HBO Max produces. And none of this is going over very well. We have seen the cancellation of a lot of properties, um, some of which were already cancelled before, but others have now been also not just cancelled, but removed from HBO Max completely. Um, you know, a couple of hundred episodes of Sesame Street are just gone, which, you know, for media preservation, if nothing else, is sad, because... Um, the series Infinity Train, which has a loyal and passionate fan base and is a series I already knew was cancelled but was still looking forward to watching at some point in the future, has now been removed from streaming. Um, and it's not available to buy on DVD, or at least the last two seasons aren't. Um, and so now it's just gone. If you want to watch that, your only option now is to pirate it. Because there is no official release to support. Um, something that has annoyed the creators of it. No end. And uh, Infinity Train isn't the only animated series that's um, this has happened to. Summer Camp Island has also been cancelled. And the YouTube channel, um, you know, promoting it has had all of its videos wiped. Um, as is its social media feeds. You know, this is... This is stuff happening to a lot of shows. And 
obviously, as with a lot of other things, there have been huge sweeping changes at DC. Not just DC Comics, which has also has undergone its own um, changes recently, but especially with the films and television. Um, and so that's what I really want to to get into with this episode because there were a lot of DC projects in the works until very recently and now it's hard to tell which ones we're still going to see which ones are still in development and what exactly is going to happen next? So, first I'm going to look at DC Comics itself. Um, the AT&T purchase of WarnerMedia um, created large financial challenges for Warner. Um Warner could no longer be run like a a film studio. It was now under the control of Wall Street, essentially. Um, AT&T is, is, like I said, they're a corporation. They're a Wall Street, um, you know, conglomerate. And the way... A business corporation is run is very, very different to how a movie studio is run or how a comic book is run. And the way corporations work, um, you know, under capitalism, is they expect to see profit continually every year. Every... Every year, every month, you're supposed to do better than previously. Um, and for DC Comics, that presents a problem. Now, for those who don't know, as, as much as um, comic book characters and superheroes are big business in terms of films and television, you know, the Marvel and DC films, but not just them, also adaptations for things like the sandman or uh the boys or um you know even something like netflix's lock and key which is based on an independent comic or the walking dead which is based on the image comic you know these sorts of things are quite big quite popular quite in quite now but comic books themselves they're pretty much a dying industry. Um, you know, comic books... Less and less people read comic books every year now. You know, sales numbers are continually in decline. You know, you might get some large numbers for an event, but in terms of, like, the actual direct comic book market, they're a dying industry. And part of this is because of how the direct comic book market works. Um, you know, for 
for many decades now, um, comics have had direct distributors. You know, Diamond is the, the main comics distributor, and they have been for years. And the way comic books are distributed is that the comic book stores will place an order for how many of a particular issue they want. And then those orders are then shipped to uh, the comic... are given to the comic book companies through Diamond. Um, and essentially, that's how many issues will be printed of a particular run. Um, so if... You know, if Diamond orders 10 million... Well, I mean, it's nowhere near that much now. If, you know, if Diamond ordered, you know... 50,000 issues of the new Spider-Man comic those 50,000 issues would be all that were printed um, and then it would be down to the individual store to sell those issues so if a store buys in 10 issues of that new Spider-Man comic they have those 10 issues to sell and they have to sell those 10 issues to make their money back because they've already paid for them they've already paid diamond for them and diamond have already paid um dc or marvel and so this has the knock-on effect where comic book shops tend to sell less because less people are buying comics so they purchase less from diamond which means less issues are being printed now there's ways around this where the company can still make profit. You know, um, DC and Marvel and Image and all the others can make money by selling comics digitally. For example, Amazon's Comixology service, although Comixology has its own set of issues. Um, they, they recently overhauled their reader and it was not particularly popular. I don't use them myself. Um because I, I mainly tend to read Marvel comics, so I use Marvel Unlimited, which is Marvel's own digital-based service. Very, very good service. Um, but I know a lot of people were very disappointed with the changes Comixology made to their formats recently. Um, but anyway, that's a different discussion. Um, you know, th they can sell comics digitally through something like... Uh, Comicsology or DC briefly had their own one, which was DC Universe, um, and this was before the HBO Max launch, so I don't even think that's really a thing anymore. Um, also, you can get what's called trade paperbacks. These tend to be the um, comic book volumes that you see in bookstores, things like uh, Waterstones here in the UK or Barnes and Noble in America, um, and what they are is a a collected run of a set of comics um usually a particular story arc um and they'll be sold in volumes um so you'd buy say miss marvel volume one which is the first six issues of her series um that would print her her first story arc essentially so you know some comics tend to do better on the on the bookstore circuit on the trade paperback circuit um than they do in direct sales 
um, through Diamond. Miss um, Marvel is a good example of that, actually. Miss Marvel is one that's done very, very well in terms of book sales, and that has actually kept her around as a character. But, yeah, comic books don't sell in huge numbers. Um, I mean, the current record holder for a comic book, uh, you know, best-selling comic book, is um, 1991's X-Men Volume 2, Issue 1. And that particular issue was sold with five variant covers. Um, variant covers are, well, exactly what it sounds like. Um, different covers for the issue, um, printed with, you know, varying rarity. Um, and X-Men Volume 2, Issue 1, sold 8 million copies, or just shy of 8 million copies. Now, that's... 8 million copies doesn't mean that 8 million different people bought that comic book around the world. What it instead means is that 8 million copies were sold. Some people bought multiple copies because it was a new X-Men book. Um, this was also part of the comic book spectator boom in the 90s, which caused a, a comic book stock market collapse. That's a whole other story and a very messy one that other people have explained way better than me um sci-fi debris does a very good youtube series called the rise and fall of the comic empire um which talks about marvel i may do my own version of this one day um you know sort of talking about the sort of story that he covers there but yeah but for now i'd recommend his video because his video is very very good when I say video, it's 15 different videos, but they're all quite short. Anyway, we were talking about DC. Now, DC in 2020, so this was after the AT&T purchase, actually pulled out of Diamond, um, which is something that people have been theorising might happen pretty much since AT&T bought them. Um... So, yeah, they, they pulled out of Diamond Distribution um, and said that they were going to distribute the comics themselves, which, I mean, so far seems to be working for them. They have been distributing comics, and they have also occasionally hit second print runs. Um, this is the thing that tends to happen where a comic will do very well, it'll sell out, but people are still demanding it, so um, the comic book companies will do second, third, sometimes even fourth or fifth print runs um, where they basically do a new print run of the comic that's um, in some cases equal to the first one um, but more often than not less and quite often they'll throw in a, a variant cover for it so a second printing cover um, it tends to be a thing with event books or number ones or big story arcs where a load of people will start talking about it and then people will be like, oh, I haven't read that, I must go out and buy it. And that's, you know, one of the more recent ones, I think, um, getting multiple print runs was the issue where uh, John Kent Superboy came out as gay, uh, not gay, bisexual, um, fairly recently. That one, I think, did get a second and third print run. So, yeah, DC are still making comics. Um, 
but while they were making comics still and moving out of diamond distribution and attempt to save money they also weren't making profit not at least not in the numbers that AT&T wanted so for those that don't know I did kind of cover this in my previous episode where I spoke about um the ongoing battle of hope and cynicism at DC um DC had gone through the new 52 reboot in 2011 that had then led to the DC rebirth um reboot in 2016 um and you know canon was now kind of considered well everything was now sort of counted to as part of a character's canon and um publisher Dan DiDio wants to take this to a logical extreme he wanted to create something which he called 5G now it was all based on his his idea it was his brainchild he got multiple editors involved and came up with a plan and it was something that was the groundwork did start to get laid in the comics the idea would be that all of DC history kind of existed um and we were now approaching what was called generation 5 with generation 1 2 3 and 4 all representing um different ages of the comic book you know different eras of heroes within the universe if you will and as part of generation 5 we would see some newer characters taking on the mantles of beloved heroes um for example Jace Fox take, who is the son of Lucius Fox taking over the role of Batman, John Kent taking on the role of Superman, uh, a newly introduced uh, Amazonian called Yara Floor taking on the role of Wonder Woman. Um, you know, it had some interesting concepts. And as I said, the groundwork was, was being laid already. Um, you know, Dan DiDio had come up with it. He'd started putting things into the stories. Um you know, DC was having its, you know, its big event crossovers of Dark Knight's Metal and, um, you know, the stories like that that were bringing the multiverse kind of back into the fore, kind of coming up with the idea that everything was now kind of canon. Um, you know, if, if DC wanted to, they could use the full canon or trim it or whatever they could do whatever they wanted with these characters and they started laying the groundwork for these new character introductions but when discovery took over um you know last year sometime i believe it was it may even have been earlier this year dandadio was fired and he wasn't the only one several other high profile editors at dc um, who had presumably been part of the 5G plans with Dan Dio, were fired as well. And, you know, it's a shame because 
the 5G plan had some promise. And, you know, it might have helped bring a boost to their sales numbers. You know, there have been many, many questions about what is canon to DC now? What is the exact timeline? This has been a constant thing since 2011's New 52 reboot. Um, and Rebirth only exacerbated it. You know, people saying, well, what is, what's canon? What stories count? And... You know, that's created a sort of a lack of understanding of what exactly the DC Universe was. And 5G was supposed to fix this. Like, Dan Dio was pictured multiple times with this big sprawling timeline behind him, um, which was aiming to organise all of DC history and set the foundation for 5G. There was going to be uh, one-shots for each of the four generations of DC up until the modern day. And obviously, they never appeared. Even the final issue of Jeff Johns and Gary Frank's Doomsday Clock um, hinted that 5G was coming, um, with Dr. Manhattan saying a line, it is January 2026, the timeline is restored, and Earth 5G is born. You know, I mean... The next line also hints at a, a possible merger or battle between Marvel and DC in 2030. So, you know, how much stock we'd put in that, I don't know. You know, Jim Lee, the other head co-creator at DC, um, later commented after Didio's firing and obviously the firings and leavings of, you know, many, many other editors, like a lot of people, this really hurt the creative talent at the top level of DC. Like a, a lot of it was just gutted almost overnight. Like Dan DiDio left and then a whole load of other editors were fired as well. And then several other editors and creatives quit in protest. Um, even Jim Lee himself was kind of given sort of a golden parachute away from any creative decisions, but still like nominally in charge almost in the same way that like Jim Lee uh, Stan Lee used to get treated at Marvel where he was like the president but wasn't like back in the 70s um but yeah Jim Lee said there won't be a project called 5G or a big reboot or whatever we really want to focus on individual titles and organically build up individual characters we had a lot of great ideas that we were floating around and Rather than dumping it all in one month and renumbering the line and going for that really short-term spike in sales, we just naturally gravitate to the story ideas and concepts we love and building them into the mythology, the ongoing mythology, in a very organic way. So, you know, essentially a lot of the ideas behind 5G are still there because, like I said, the groundwork was still laid for them. Um, and they've influenced things like... Um, Future State and the current ongoing Dark Crisis, um, which has seen the death of the Justice League and a new Justice League forming, um, mainly featuring younger heroes, um, including John Kent. Although that itself has also been met with its own issues, as you know, a character like Mary Marvel was replaced at the last minute with Supergirl, um you know, with even solicitations suggesting that Mary Marvel was going to be a part of it before she was replaced with Supergirl. 
The issue is, though, that what could have been a bold new statement for the line and generated a probably some pushback, no doubt, but also would have generated a lot of media buzz and interest, is now kind of a, a drip-fed, gradual idea. And it seems like a poor man's catch-up to what Marvel was doing a few years ago. Um, Marvel did their own version of this, where they, you know, introduced characters like Kamala Khan, Miles Morales, um, made Falcon, Captain America, and so on. Um, Kind of building, you know, newer legacy versions of these characters. Um... And, you know, because legacy heroes have never really been a thing in Marvel, but they've always been a thing in DC. You know, there's been something like 10 different Robins. There's multiple Green Lanterns, multiple Flashes. Um, although the big ones, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, they very rarely changed. I think Wonder Woman has changed a couple of times. It's not always been Diana. It has been a couple of other characters as well. Um but Superman and Batman had pretty much generally always been um, Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne up until fairly recently. But, you know, Future State is not quite what 5G is. It's expressing some of the ideas, but not in a way that's forcing it to be continuity and to be continuity changes. It's more as kind of a an abstract idea. Oh, this is what the future could be. Um, and it just feels half-hearted. Which is a shame, because I've got to admit, I was interested in the concept of 5G. I was interested in the idea of there being different generations of heroes. Like, one of the plans was to have Wonder Woman be the first hero, just as she is in the DC universe, you know, the extended universe, the films. You know, have her be the first hero out in this world. And, yes, that flies in the face of Superman always being the first hero, but... Superman hasn't been the first hero for years now because of things like the Justice Society, the the, the World War II heroes that have come back. Um, you know, Doomsday Clock kind of explained this by saying that Superman is the sort of the linchpin around which the universe is built. So the Superman always occur his his first appearance is always closer to the modern day even if there were heroes before um but even doomsday clock itself has been kind of wiped from canon almost i'm going to cover doomsday clock one day because it's a, a sequel to watchmen for those who don't know it kind of brings the watchmen characters into the dc universe very very interesting concept and i think they executed it very well um, you know, especially because it's a, a very bold and daring idea. <sighs> but yeah, I think 
it's a shame that a lot of amazingly talented and creative people at DC lost their jobs. I mean, I'm not as huge of a fan of DC as I am of Marvel, especially not on the comic side. I have found their constant reboots and continuity changes something that has grown tiresome for me. Um, but I still care about a lot of these characters. And part of the fun of DC has been the legacy of these characters, how they've grown up, grown old, changed. And so I was quite interested in 5G. And now it's not a thing anymore. And it's a shame, and it's just one casualty among many that we're going to be talking about. Now, for most people, a lot of the signs of exactly what was going to happen under um, David Zaslav and Warner Brothers Discovery really became apparent with the news uh, last month, I believe it was, that Batgirl had been cancelled. But not just cancelled, it was never going to be released. And this is a film that was basically complete. Like, there was bits of post-production to do. Um, it was designed to be f shown on HBO Max. It stars Leslie Grace as Batgirl in a very comic-accurate costume. I know a lot of people complained about it when the initial reveal was done, but it looks remarkably like the Burnside Batgirl costume that was introduced in the New 52 era. Um, I, I was pleased with it. Uh, it also was going to see J.K. Simmons return as... Um, Commissioner Gordon from the previous films in the series, as well as see the return of Michael Keaton as Batman um, following his appearance, which is happening earlier this year. Uh, well, which was earlier this year. His, his reappearance as Batman in The Flash, which has already filmed... Um, but is currently still undergoing VFX um, work, so has actually been postponed even longer. Um, the idea was that The Flash would be out by December this year and Batgirl would follow next year. This is because before the Discovery purchase, um, it was announced that DC were planning under AT&T to do... Um, six DC films a year. This was their reported plan, where there would have been three releasing in cinemas and three releasing on streaming. Um, and Batgirl was going to be the first of these streaming efforts. So obviously it was made for a lower budget than a major DC film. Um, but by all accounts, was pretty good. Um, well... I say all accounts. There's been some very mixed reporting on how well it tested. Um, a lot of people I've seen have said that, you know, it tested reasonably well, like 
better side of average, not not fantastic, but it was never going to get fantastic testing scores because it's not a big budget, you know, DC film. But it is a film with an up-and-coming lead and several beloved actors playing, you know, supporting characters. I should also add Brendan Fraser was going to be playing the villain. He was going to be a version of the Batman villain Firefly, uh, a mantle that's been held by several different characters throughout the years. So... It was an interesting idea that this is what we were going to get. And Batgirl was the film that, when it was announced to be cancelled, not just cancelled, but gone forever, like never to be released, it's never seen the light of day. It's never, you know, all the production work is finished, although despite, because they'd be paid for the, the studio time and the recording time and, the, you know, the orchestra, the score was actually finished before it was officially cancelled, like, in between it being cancelled and being shelved. Um, which is its own bizarre story. Um, but, yeah, for a lot of people, the announcement that it was cancelled was the first a lot of people had heard of it. Um, but Bagger wasn't the only one film cancelled as i said the same day batgirl was revealed to be cancelled a uh, scoob holiday haunt which was also coming to streaming and was a follow-up to the cgi film scoob that released a couple of years ago which again was pretty good i didn't dislike it um and for streaming you know scoob holiday haunt would have been a worthy you know scoob was definitely a streaming mm -hmm. film rather than a a big budget film. But, you know, for many people, this was the first they'd heard about it. Which is also a shame. Um, I should add that the two directors of Batgirl were responsible for Bad Boys for Life um, and a couple of episodes of Miss Marvel, um, a show which has also been received incredibly well. Um, critically and um, by fans. So, you know, there was some good talent involved in this. But yes, Batgirl was cancelled. Um, and since then, many other things at DC, well, at Warner Brothers, have been cancelled or are up in the air. Um,. You know, there was a Wonder Twins film which announced the cast members for it not very long ago, only a, a couple of months ago. You know, Isabel May and KJ Apper had been announced to be playing the titular Wonder Twins. For anyone who isn't aware of who the Wonder Twins are, um, they were, I believe, original characters created for the television show by Hanna-Barbera, The Super Friends, um, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, one of them could change... But they could, they could both change form by touching powered rings together. And uh, one of them could change... 
into you know animal forms and one of them could change into different forms of water if I remember rightly they had some some quite bizarre powers but their casting was only announced in April and the film is now cancelled it's it's not happening anymore now like I said I don't think many people are clamouring for a Wonder Twins movie but at the same time it's an interesting idea and if done right you know they could they could do some quite cool things with them on screen um and you know they're they're characters that have been in the popular zeitgeist you know they've been jokes on family guy they've been references to them in many many projects um throughout the years of who the wonder twins are so do i think it's a missed opportunity no not necessarily but and at the same time, it would be would have been interesting to see what could happen to them. Um, another one that's recently been announced to be cancelled and may even be sold. This one um, is Bruce Timm's uh, spiritual successor to Batman the Animated Series, which is called Batman Caped Crusader. Um, this was under development at Warner Warner Brothers, um, and apparently several other studios are interested in it apple and netflix have both expressed interest in adding it to their own uh streaming services whether that will happen considering warner brothers discovery like i said owns dc you know would they want to sell it to a rival network i don't know usually with a film studio though when they do can a film especially a film that's already been produced like scoob holiday horn or batgirl they generally do tend to be sold to recoup losses, um, you know, because at the end of the day, the studio has paid for the scripts, they've paid for the sets, they've paid for the actors. Um, but it seems that because these films are no longer being released, apparently due to how US tax law works, they can now claim these films as a loss which means they get a tax break from them. Um, I'm not sure of the specifics myself. I'm not sure many people are. But yeah, essentially these films are considered a loss now. They're not going to be sold. They're not going to be seen. Like one of the directors of Batgirl even said that they tried to grab footage and it had been deleted. Um, and there was even stories of Warner Brothers holding like funeral screenings of Batgirl and that met some horrible reactions online like one of the cast members spoke out um she was going to be uh it was a, a transgender actress who was playing a, a trans ally of Batgirl in the film and it was going to be the debut of that character in the film um you know she hit out at DC over this at Warner Brothers um in like an open ed letter on um on uh, twitter um you know she hit back at david zaslav and had some some quite choice words to say um even a young fa a father to a young girl 
in Glasgow who visited the set when it was being filmed and got a walk-on part in the movie. He has asked if her scenes can be released to him because, you know, that was how they were expecting to get paid. You know, he got told that those scenes would be available to him um, so that he could show, you know, other people his his, his daughter in this film. Um and this is something that's going on all over, you know, for all these things that are being pulled from HBO Max as streaming, that's people's portfolio, people's livelihoods now gone. You know, a lot of animators, for example, on these things like Scoob and Infinity Train and uh, Summer Camp Island, you know, being able to point to a show and say, yeah, I worked on that, um, is something that works almost as like a digital portfolio. You can't really do that anymore with these shows because they're not there. Um, but yeah, so what other things are up in there? There's there's, there's quite a few um, where we don't know what's going to happen with them anymore. I mean, on the TV side of Warner Brothers. You know, one of the biggest outputs uh, for Warner Brothers on its TV side, especially for DC on its television side, is the Arrowverse. Um, the shared universe of shows that have built up off of the back of 2012's Arrow um, by Greg Berlanti, um, starring Stephen Amell. Um Shows that now include The Flash, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, Supergirl, um, Black Lightning, Superman Lois, Stargirl, and Naomi. B believe that's all of them. Now, I'm going to be doing a full episode on the Arrowverse later this year um, for its 10th anniversary. So I don't want to comment too much on that here. Um, but essentially, um, you know, Arrow finished a couple of years ago, um, Black Lightning had come to a close, Supergirl had come to a close, the shows that were still on the air were Superman and Lois, um, Stargirl, which is, uh, both of which are co-produced with HBO Max itself, um, Naomi, um, who is based on a recent character introduced in the comics by Brian Michael Bendis in the pages of Supergirl, uh, not Supergirl, Superman. Um, you know, she was, she got a, a TV series earlier this year on the CW. Um, and then the original shows of Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, And, like I said, Superman and Lois. They all started airing their seasons earlier this year. Um, as I said, Supergirl and Black Lightning had already come to a close. I said Arrow. Now, after their seasons finished earlier this year, it was announced that Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow 
had not been picked up for further seasons. The news later broke that this decision came from Warner Brothers themselves, not from the CW. The reason being, Warner Brothers apparently didn't want to lease the studio space anymore. So, the studios that were being used were being removed. And the shows were being cancelled. And as far as I'm aware, both of those shows ended on cliffhangers because they believed they were getting future seasons. You know, it had been a pretty sure-run thing. These, the, they weren't designed to be the last seasons. Supergirl and Black Lightning were planned to be the final seasons. So was Arrow. So they had time to wrap the story threads naturally. <clears throat> Naomi was also cancelled after its first season. And that's not getting a second season now. Flash, I think, had Grant Gustin, the lead actor of The Flash, not already rearranged his contract to get season nine. I don't think that would be happening either. Um, because it's now been announced that the upcoming season nine, which will debut later this year, I believe, or possibly early next year, is expected to be the final season of The Flash. And that will probably spell the end of the Arrowverse. Now, obviously I mentioned two other shows there, Superman and Lois and Stargirl. Stargirl is set on a different Earth within the DC multiverse that's presented in Arrow because they have touched the DC multiverse. Um, and Stargirl is set on Earth 2 and has been since it began. Superman and Lois was originally presented as taking place within the Arrowverse on the main Earth in the storyline. However, the season 2 finale explicitly says that Superman is the only hero in their world, despite this flying in the face of evidence presented in season one. And it has now been revealed by the showrunners that, yes, Superman and Lois is a different Earth. It is not the Arrowverse. You know, despite evidence presented in season one, as of season two, that show is not considered a part of the Arrowverse. It is a different Earth. And it's a shame. It's one of those quiet endings where the Arrowverse ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. And now as well, the CW has been sold. Um you know, a local TV station has now taken a, a majority share of the CW, a 75% share with Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery having the rest. And how much of a lot of shows that uh, the CW had planned, like the CW were supposed to be building a franchise off of um, Babylon 5, which they recently acquired. Um... You know, that's supposed to be building for the future. Whether that's going to go ahead now is kind of unknown. I mean, the sale's not finalised yet, but 
you know, it's it's been sold. This is in the process of happening. <sighs> there were numerous other projects, some of which are being filmed. Um, Blue Beetle, um, featuring one of the char- the lead character being played the lead character of Jaime Reyes, the Blue Beetle, being played by an actor who rose to prominence in Cobra Kai, a series itself, which is very popular, um, playing the hero of Blue Beetle, uh, a Latino hero. Um, You know, diversity being something that the DCEU so far has lacked. Um... You know, especially off the back of the the stories that came out between Walter Hamada, Joss Whedon and Ray Fisher. Um, off the back of the Justice League, which I, I touched on in a previous episode where I talked about the Snyderverse. You know, Blue Beetle has been filming. We don't know if that's going to be released now. Um, we don't know what the status of... The Green Lantern series by Jeff Johns is. You know, that was supposed to be an HBO Max series. We don't know if that's coming. Um, there was rumours, well, reports earlier this year of a Justice U series in the works at the CW, um, which would have featured the character of John Diggle, a recurring character in the Arrowverse, leading a new team of heroes. That's supposedly been cancelled. One of many uh, undeveloped ideas at the CW. There was also a Wonder Woman, a Wonder Girl series that was would have featured the character of Yara Floor, um, which was proposed earlier in the year, as well as um, the series that weren't picked up, such as Painkiller and um, Green Arrow and the Canaries, which would have picked built off of uh, Black Lightning and Arrow themselves, both of which had backdoor pilots in the final seasons of those respective shows. <sighs> there is a Gotham Knights series coming, as well, though, uh, but the trailer for that seems awful, um, and it seems very unconnected to the Arrowverse. seems to be about a, a group of kids trying to take over after Batman has disappeared. Um... There was a whole group of shows that were going to be a that that were in development at HBO Max, which were going to be almost like a, a Justice Dark. Um, there was going to be a, a new Constantine show, um, a show on Zatanna, a show on Madame Xanadu. It's now completely unknown whether they're going to move forward at all. Um, Colin Farrell's Penguin was supposed to get a spin-off from the Batman film that released earlier this year. We don't know if that's happening. The Arkham uh, Asylum itself was going to get a, a spin-off from that same film. We don't know if that's happening anymore. Um, Journey Smollett, um, who played the character of Black Canary in... Um, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, she was going to get a spin-off as that character, as a streaming movie. 
Um, that's been talked about for a long time and has been in various stages of pre-production over the past few years. We don't know if that's going forward anymore. Um, it was even seemed for a while that the Batman 2 uh, or whatever sequel that's going to be um, by Matt Reeves starring Robert Pattinson, whether that was going to be going forward because apparently there was a a huge disagreement between David Zaslav and Matt Reeves over the direction of that particular universe. Um, so whether that's a thing anymore or not, we don't know. Um, it seems to have been resolved now. It's been reported that Matt Reeves is going to have um, some creative control at DC going forward um, regarding the Batman. Um James Gunn has also said that Peacemaker Season 2 will be going ahead. Um, Titans and Doom Patrol um, are both due to get their respective Season 3s... Well, Season 4 for Titans, I believe, and Season 3 for Doom Patrol, if I remember rightly. It might be Season 4 for Doom Patrol now as well. Um, they're supposed to be getting those seasons later this year. Um, but we don't know whether they're going to be moving forward after that. Um, you know, news even came out that apparently Walter Hamada was so angered by the cancellation of um, Batgirl, never mind all these other projects, that apparently he nearly quit on the spot. And the rumour and reported stories so far are that Zaslav has been able to convince him to stay in place at least until the release of their only current upcoming films. Um, films that have been in development for years now. Like, these same, these same four films have been teased in the past two respective DC fandom events... And this year we have no DC fandom event because they are the only four films that we still currently expect, which are Black Adam starring Dwayne Johnson um, and Pierce Brosnan is introducing the Justice Society. I'm quite intrigued by that one. Um, Shazam 2 The Fury of the Gods um, by David Sandberg starring Zachary Levi. I love the first Shazam film, so I'm very intrigued to see where what this does and where it goes. Um, Aquaman 2 The Lost Kingdom, which itself is marred by Amber Heard's recent controversy as well, um, you know, with a high-profile um, defamation case against Johnny Depp. And then, of course, the swirling vortex that is Ezra Miller and The Flash which is its own can of worms which I think we have to discuss yeah so let's get into that so um, Ezra Miller and The Flash now this is a, a long story with a lot of different elements um, things that have affected Ezra Miller as it's been going on um, you know the way they have acted in public uh, the things they've been accused of 
there's a lot to get into. Um, essentially, Flash was announced back in um, uh, back in 2014, 2015, whenever it was that DC did their big announcement of everything that was supposedly coming up until the end of 2020. Um, their plan was to release, obviously it was going to see Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad in 2016, um, Justice League Part 1 in 2017 alongside Wonder Woman. Um, I believe they were looking to get um, Flash and Cyborg in 2018. Um, oh no, no, Aquaman was involved as well at that point as well and there was a Green Lantern movie that was supposed to come out as well as Justice League Part 2. Um, and all of these were announced with stars and um, directors. Now, Flash became noticeable for going through different directors. Um, quite a few of them. Um, and Seth Graham Smith, uh, Rick Famuyiwa... Um, John Francis Daly, Jonathan Goldstein, each departed the project um, after being assigned to it due to creative differences. Um, it's currently had its screenplay written by Christina Hodson and is directed by Andy Machete. Um, they, be they joined the film in 2019, began pre-production January 2020, um, they then filmed it um, in, mostly in 2021. Obviously, filming was delayed due to COVID. Um, and it's basically influenced by the comic book storyline Flashpoint, the story that is famous for kickstarting the New 52. And, you know, I was hoping to speak about it when the film eventually released um, and talking about what it might mean for the future of the DCEU because the rumour is that Flashpoint is, you know, the, the Flash movie is going to feature some kind of reboot of the universe in its final scenes because as well as Ezra Miller as Barry Allen and Kirstie Clemens returning as Iris West from the Snyder Cut, we are also supposed to be getting uh, Michael Shannon returning as General Zod um, Sasha Cal or Sasha Kali, I'm not sure quite how you say her surname, as um, Supergirl, Ben Affleck returning as Batman, but also Michael Keaton returning as Batman. The idea being that in the film, Barry's going to travel back in time to prevent his mother's murder and change the timeline, where instead of Henry Cavill's Superman and Ben Affleck's Batman, we now have Michael Keaton's Batman and Sasha Cali's Supergirl, and the film will feature General Zod as the main villain, um, sort of recreating the events of Man of Steel, featuring Flash and Supergirl. Uh, I think Antje Trow is also returning as Feora. Um, you know, she appeared in Man of Steel as well. And the idea is, um, when the film goes back to normal... Um, you know, when the timeline goes back to normal at the end of the film, 
the rumour was, the rumour, um, well, say it's part rumour, part leak at this point. Um, like I said, Flash has been in development, post-production for a while, and it's usually when things are in post-production that we start to get these leaks because bits of the film are sent out to, um, you know, visual effects houses and things like that, and that, that causes leaks. And you know, the leak of the storyline is that at the end of the film, Supergirl and Michael Keaton will replace Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill in the main DCEU moving forward. So there would have been a lot to unpack because it's clearly inspired by elements like Flashpoint, but the idea might also be that this might build to some form of crisis on infinite earths um there was a post credits rumor slash leak um that ben affleck's batman would like leave a message for barry um saying come and find us and that you know ben affleck also said that his scenes in the film were his favorite as the character they were a nice finish for his time as Batman. Um, there's even the, you know, the, the leaks that while Barry is kind of fixing the timeline, um, we would have seen hints at um, all sorts of live action Marvel, and, uh, not Marvel, live action DC properties, um, including Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, Christopher Reeve's Superman, even Robert Pattinson's Batman. Um, potentially so this would have been sort of a, attempting to bring the idea of the multiverse into the DCEU now Flash was on course originally to release um, later this year it was supposed to be releasing sort of December time but the schedule moved around in March. Um, Warner Brothers adjusted their release schedule, saying that due to the impacts of COVID-19 and the workload on visual effects vendors, um, Flash was swapped to June next year, with Aquaman The Lost Kingdom also moved to next year. Uh, the idea being that they need more time to finish their visual effects. Um, apparently Flash had around two and a half thousand visual effect shots that still needed to be completed I will say we have had a brief teaser trailer for the Flash that did look really good um, features multiple versions of Ezra Miller's Barry um, which is an interesting concept as well but yeah it's it looked interesting from what we have seen of it but then, following all these controversial instance, incidents with Ezra Miller, um, Warner Brothers Discovery has apparently been feeling the pressure to look at their options with the film. And this is where we need to discuss the things that Ezra Miller has been involved in themselves. Now... Now, there was a brief incident in April 2020 
where a video surfaced that showed appeared to show Ezra Miller strangling a woman and throwing her to the ground. Um, it was shown at a bar that they visit in Reykjavik. Um, and it came out that Miller was escorted off the premises by staff after the incident. As far as I can find, there's no real details on any legal ramifications that came of that or, or anything else. However, March 2022 began sort of Ezra Miller's decline. Um, firstly, Miller was arrested at the end of March in Hawaii um, following what police said was a physical altercation with patrons at a karaoke bar. They were charged with disorderly conduct and harassment. Three weeks later, in April 19th, they were again taken into custody for second-degree assault. Um, they were arrested for throwing a chair, which hit a 26-year-old woman and left a half-inch-long cut on their forehead after being told to leave during a private get-together. Um, Miller was then arrested at a traffic stop a bit later on. Hours after this second arrest, uh, they pleaded no contest to the karaoke incident and they were fined £500 sorry, for disorderly conduct. In June 2022, um, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Court issued a temporary order of protection against Ezra Miller on behalf of 18-year-old activist Takata Ionize. Um, now, I should say... Um, I may misgender or misname Takata Ionize based on different parts of the story... Um, you know, it, they identify as, um, uh, she, they, um, but they may also have changed their name. There's a lot of issues here. Um, basically her parents, uh, Chase Ionize and Sarah Jumping Eagle requested the court order because they said of Miller's use of, quote, violence, intimidation, threat of violence, fear, paranoia, delusions and drugs to hold sway over their child. The relationship between them apparently began in 2016 when Miller was aged 23 and Ionize was aged 12 and also included Ionize's flying to London in 2017 to visit Miller on the set of The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, Ionize dropped out of school in 2021, which their parents believe they did in order to follow Miller. Um, their parents also stated in court documents that Miller had caused bruises on their child's body and that groomer, uh, that Miller has, quote, groomed and manipulated her. Now, these are quite strong allegations. Um, text and video responses were later posted on the Instagram believed to belong to Takata Ionize, denying the parents' allegations However, the parents countered by claiming their child does not control their own social media. Um, Ionize stated that the video response that it's their choice not to have a phone. 
As of June 10th, 2022, law enforcement had been unable to locate Miller to serve them with the court order. Um, Miller then posted messages on their Instagram account mocking the court's attempts to find them, um, although those have since been deleted. Um, in August, Miller's former music collaborator, Oliver Ignatius, stated that he had witnessed Miller verbally abuse Iron Eyes over her wearing makeup. Iron Eyes defended Miller by referring to the incident as a catty comment and part of a queer dialogue. She called the allegation of abuse homophobic. So, that was the first big incident. The next big incident came when in June, 2020, June 16th, uh, 2022, a mother and her 12-year-old child were granted a temporary harassment prevention order against Miller in Massachusetts after they said that Miller threatened the woman's family and showed inappropriate behaviour towards the child. According to the mother and child, Miller, who was originally visiting a neighbour, showed up at the family's house unexpectedly while wearing a bulletproof vest and brandishing a gun before, quote, pestering the child by quote uncomfortably touching the child's hips the child's mother told business insider that miller had known the family since february had taken an interest in the child because of their style and maturity level that's a quote and had offered to start a clothing line with the child and fund their attendance to a design school the mother also said that miller considered the child to be a quote powerful mystical being who would be quote, lucky to have Ezra to guide and protect them. Shortly before the order was granted, the mother stated that Miller arrived at the family's house dressed as a cowboy and attempted to buy the child horses. There's still more. <laughs> um, Rolling Stone then reported that Miller had been housing a woman that they met in Hilo, Hawaii, and her three children on their farm in Stamford, Vermont, since uh, mid-April. Um, allegations from both anonymous and named sources, as well as the child's father, are that guns and ammunition are easily accessible to the children, all aged between one and five years old, and that the one-year-old apparently one point put a loose bullet in their mouth. The woman claims that Miller has offered a refuge for healing and an escape from the children's father, who she alleges is abusive. Further claims include assault rifles propped up on piles of the children's stuffed animals, as well as heavy marijuana use. Ezra Miller has mentioned in the past that they do smoke marijuana. They were um, booked uh, for it um, in 2011. So, you know, them smoking marijuana is not something new. It's something they've not denied. Uh, they've openly admitted um, but apparently, the according to this latest accusation, they're smoking marijuana in front of the children in rooms without proper ventilation, including a witness stating that he saw, quote, Miller blow marijuana smoke in the baby's face and use their arm to waft more smoke into the baby's direction. Rolling Stone also published that Ezra Miller has apparently been running a large unlicensed marijuana cultivation operation. On the weekend of August 6th, a Vermont State Police approached Miller's residence and repeatedly attempted to serve the mother an emergency care order that demanded the children's removal from her care and home over the fear for their safety. 
based on a caseworker's affidavit. The state attorney's office had requested two emergency care orders over the past week that sought to transfer legal custody of the children over to the state. Police and social workers, however, were unable to locate the children or the mother. Miller told police that the woman and her children don't live there and haven't for the past two months. Contradicting Miller, the caseworker in her affidavit to the court presented evidence that up until late July, the woman had been regularly posting images on social media that confirmed that she was living with Miller. The Vermont State Attorney's Office stated that Miller's response seemed like, quote, an attempt to evade service of the order. Then, August 7th, in Stamford, Vermont, Ezra Miller, they were charged with felony burglary, um, stemming from what the police report indicated was a theft of bottles of alcohol from a private home in May 2022, according to the state police. According to the report, they were identified by police via video surveillance footage. They are due to be arraigned in court on September 26th. All right. Now, all of this caused mounting pressure on Warner Brothers to do something about Ezra Miller in the role. The problem is, apparently, they are in too much of the movie to simply reshoot it. They can't... Um, you know, there was a recent... Uh, I think it was Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. It replaced one character after shooting. I'm not sure why they replaced the original actor. I think it was some sort of allegation, some criminal allegation against them. But the entire character was replaced after shooting um, with Tig Notaro, um, the comedian who plays uh, Jet Reno in um, Star Trek Discovery. And apparently her integration into the film is is seamless. Apparently that's not possible with The Flash. As I said, there's multiple versions of Barry Allen in the film, and Ezra Miller is in pretty much the entire film. They carry the whole film and do so in a lot of visual effect shots as well, um, you know, where the character themselves is performing visual, you know, is using their superpowers. So there are visual effects involving the character. You know, it was it was believed, though, that delaying the release would help to avoid the controversy. But this controversy doesn't seem to have been going away. So, late last month, it was revealed that the studio was considering three options. If Miller received professional help, they could give an interview explaining their behaviour and then potentially do limited press for the film, which would be released as planned. If Miller did not receive help, then they would be excluded from all press for the film, and the role would potentially be recast for any future projects. Or, if the situation with Miller deteriorated even further, the film could be cancelled as a last resort. Now, this final one would be an unprecedented move. Um, you know, the Flash cost over $200 million. This, is, this isn't like Batgirl, which had $90 million poured into it. That's something you could write off as a loss. Um, you know, $200 million, that's a large chunk of money. And it's like, 
yes, Warner Brothers Discovery is doing a lot to try and save money and writing things off and um, helps to do that somehow. Um, although they have also seen their stock prices tank as a result of the decisions that they have made. Um, so... What would happen here is unknown. You know, cancelling Batgirl is one thing. Cancelling Flash, which is, you know, a tentpole that you're hooking all of your future plans on, is completely different. Um, especially because, again, according to rumours, it's testing really well. Like, apparently Flash is testing... Um, better than any DC movie since the Dark Knight trilogy um, by Christopher Nolan. So, that's strong praise. But yeah, it's supposedly it's, it's impossible to replace Ezra Miller with another actor in this film um, due to them portraying multiple characters and appearing in nearly every scene. The film is considered key for the DCEU's plans going forward. So, David Zaslav even said that he had seen The Flash and he had received positive responses from the studio and that they were committed to releasing it in theatres. And so, presumably, news of what was being said made its way back to Miller. Um, because in the 15th of August, a representative of Ezra Miller released a statement to Variety in which Miller apologises for their past behaviour, stating they have only recently, quote, gone through a time of intense crisis and have begun treatment for, quote, complex mental health issues. Now, this is... <sighs> the bare minimum I think that of what we can expect going forward um, and it suggests that the you know the the first option that Warner Brothers Discovery were considering, yeah, that this first option might be what DC and well Warner Brothers Discovery wants to happen. They want, you know, presumably a limited press tour. Um, it, but they might still keep Ezra Miller away from the press. Um, it wouldn't be unexpected, I don't think. So yeah, it's um. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, obviously, this is still an evolving story. There's a lot to unpack regarding The Flash. And I did want to kind of discuss it all when the film was out because I wanted to see what the film's... You know, how the film is going to be used. I mean, I have read all the leaked plot synopsis. I know what has been rumoured to happen to this film but whether that's going to be what actually happens or not I don't know whether whether the rumoured 
plot synopsis I've read, you know, this leaked plot, is actually what's going, what the plot is going to be. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, I get. I think it will be interesting to see what actually happens with the Flash, how integral it's going to be going forward, and what role Ezra Miller will have in the DCEU afterwards, if they even will. You know, there's a lot of strong allegations that have been levelled against them. And it's going to be interesting to see how those resolve. One of the biggest problems uh, faced by Warner Brothers at the minute is a lack of focus. Now, they've been trying to refocus um, for the past few years. Um, it was announced a few years ago, back in sort of twenty. 20 i want to say maybe even before that no 2018 it was um that uh, this, this was after the at&t buyout became finalized that at&t were looking to capitalize on certain big franchises at warner brothers and kind of push those forward um most obviously there was the the dc eu um at the time they were expecting shazam Aquaman, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, Birds of Prey, um, as well as being in development on Suicide Squad 2, which had Gavin O'Connor attached at the time, not James Gunn, um, as well as, you know, Black Adam, which had been in development for a while at that point, as well as The Flash and The Green Lantern Corps. Now... Plenty of other films have been in various stages of development. Uh, Anna DuVernay was working on The New Gods. That was cancelled. Uh, Gareth Evans was working on Deathstroke. That was cancelled. Um, Guillermo del Toro's Justice League Dark had been cancelled just before the AT&T buyout. So, yeah, there was a lot of potential there that was scrapped across the, along the way. We were also expecting um, the Wizarding World, the J.K. Rowling uh, Harry Potter franchise to be an integral part of whatever they were planning moving forward. Now, obviously, in recent years, since 2018, J.K. Rowling has gone mask off as a full bigot. Um you know, especially transphobic. Um, you know, for anyone who doubts that she is transphobic, seriously, go and watch videos by trans people that tell you what she's saying and how bad it is. You know, this is like... This is the same argument that you got with Simpsons where a load of people said that Apu was racist as a racist caricature, and a whole load of people were like, oh, no, he's not racist, it's harmless fun. If people from a minority group tell you that things that people are saying are causing you harm, are causing them harm, 
maybe fucking listen to them. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard to to listen to minority voices. If if trans people are telling you that what J.K. Rowling is saying is transphobic, it's the easiest litmus test in history. You either believe them and support trans people or you don't. And I think there's plenty of people out there who would rather side with Harry Potter, um, which is a franchise I've never been a particular fan of anyway. Um, you know, they'd, they'd rather side with something like Harry Potter and the, the billionaire who makes money off of it than believe one of the marginalised groups in our society. And that pisses me off no end. Um, but yeah, I'm not here to discuss J.K. Rowling's transphobia. That's a discussion for a different time. But even without her transphobia, um, the crimes of Grindelwald and the secrets of Dumbledore were not particularly well-received films. Um, you know, crimes of Grindelwald was really poorly received despite uh, you know despite the the promise that had been shown by the the good reception that fantastic beasts and where to find them got um you know crimes of grindelwald was really not well received and then obviously that was hit with its own issues things like um uh, johnny depp being booted from the sequel um you know from from secrets of dumbledore and replaced by mads mickelson off of the back of his own defamation case with um, Amber Heard, who, by the way, is still attached to Aquaman 2, suggesting that Warner Brothers had taken sides in that debate, which, now that that case has, has you know, gone through the courts and a lot of horrible stuff has come to light, on, on both sides, you know, I, do I think Johnny Depp was... Um, you know, is someone who is abusive? No, not necessarily, but I definitely think him, he and Amber Heard engaged in a lot of very toxic behaviours towards each other. But, you know, that's its own discussion as well. Um, but, you know, it's... Fantastic Beast has not been very well received. It's supposed to be getting another two sequels. But Secrets of Dumbledore did not do very well at all. Um, I don't think financially it even did that well. And so the whole potential future of that series is now in jeopardy. Um, there was discussion that... Um, they were going to move forward with the Lego franchise, which had been quite profitable for them. I've I've spoken on the podcast before about Lego Batman and how I really enjoy that movie. Um, the first Lego movie and Lego Ninjago were also out at the same time. Um, and again, both films I, I really enjoy. I think they're perfectly charming. Um, the second part that came out, Lego Movie 2... Um, I really enjoyed that as well. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, but then not long after that released, um, the Lego license was sold in 2020 to Universal, 
like Universal now own the Lego license, not Warner Brothers. So, you know, that's been abandoned. Meanwhile, the only other real big property um, for kids that Warner Brothers has is Teen Titans Go. Uh, we got the Teen Titans Go to the movies, which was very fun. Um, Teen Titans Go, I think, is, is perfectly entertaining for what it is. It's a really poor sequel to what Teen Titans was, but it's it's perfectly fine in and of itself. Um, Space Jam 2 also came out, uh, the, the new Legacy or whatever it was called, um, and that was fine. It was had some interesting ideas, although it's um, the villain being an algorithm that expresses control and dominance over um, Warner Brothers properties. Well, that hits uh, a bit different now, doesn't it, with David Zaslav? Um, meanwhile, most of the other stuff that they have for kids... I mean, Scoob's... The sequel for Scoob has been cancelled. Um, you know, um, despite the first film being quite popular from what I've seen, um, you know, what are other big franchises do they have for children um you know regarding their adult franchises it finished um you know it part one and part two were done they were finished um you know will they move and do another i know they did a tv adaptation of the stand for um uh, cbs which was apparently really good um but whether they'll do any more stephen king adaptations i'm not sure um the monsterverse that they were doing with legendary pictures um godzilla kong released did very very well king of the monsters released did very didn't do quite well um in terms of commercial numbers but did very very well critically um you know i've not seen you know i've not seen many negative critic you know receptions many critical reviews of that film um you know it's generally been received quite well from what i've seen of it um personally i think it's great i'm i'm probably going to be doing a podcast on the the monsterverse at some point but since godzilla v kong we've not heard anything else nothing else has happened there's not even any words at the minute about whether you know whether any sequels are in the pipeline and i think legendary pictures has now left warner brothers discovery as well in fact there was discussion about legendary doing a sequel to kong um possibly with warner brothers but then i've also heard because king kong is a public domain character um disney are also planning to do a kong series so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, it's been reported that, that Legendary are looking for new options now that their deal with Warner Brothers is ending. I think uh, the the most recent big film they did in collaboration with Warner Brothers was Dune. Um, but Legendary Pictures also sought legal action when it was announced that Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong were being released date and day on hbo max that was another one um that 
you know, as well as the the lambasting they got from Christopher Nolan over that, Legendary Pictures sought financial compensation. So whether they'll, I, I mean, I know the Dune sequel is in the works, but the question is whether that sequel will even be made by Legendary or whether it will be made under Warner Brothers Discovery now. There's a lot of interesting things here to unravel and it's just, a lot of it is just corporate backroom dealings and, you know, what's happening with stuff behind the scenes. It's just a shame because it feels like AT&T tried to put their own stamp on Warner Brothers on what they wanted to do and now Discovery is putting their own stamp on what they want to do and what they want to do is also different from what Warner, what AT&T wanted to do and what Warner Brothers has been doing and it's all happening very quickly and it's like you know Warner Brothers is now saying oh they're, they're, again Warner Brothers Discovery is now saying they want to refocus on certain key franchises. DC obviously being one, um, but not just DC, also Game of Thrones, which is now having the House of the Dragon prequel series being released, or, um, you know, Lord of the Rings. But it's like, you know, there was there was a discussion recently, it was a story broke that broke and was then lost in the news cycle of Warner Brothers apparently exploring a potential for an Aragorn spin-off film or a Gollum spin-off film for Lord of the Rings. And it's like, we're now getting Amazon's Rings of Power, which I don't think Warner Brothers has anything to do with. And um, Lord of the Rings itself, um, the rights to it were recently bought by um embracer group who is a you know media collaboration of their own that are involved in video games and tv and streaming and several other things so it's like i don't even know how that affects um rings of power or lord of the rings or the hobbit or any other potential plans it, it just seems like warner brothers is in dire straits at the minute and so their focus is on DC because it seems to be one of the main things they have left. Um, you know, they have these four big films that are expecting to release very soon, despite Killing Batgirl, despite um, Blue Beetle being up in the air. You know, they're still supposedly releasing these four films and, and apparently it's all for the the dc brand because david zaslav has said our job is to protect the dc brand i'm not surprised you're trying to protect it when it's the only one you've got left um but you know he also cited that as a reason for killing the batgirl movie surely releasing more things in the dc brand if it is your flagship brand is what you want to do <sighs> So, the they are now looking at a new 10-year plan for DC. 
Now, this in itself is an interesting idea. The idea of a, a 10-year plan. Like I said, it's nothing new. DC have tried this before. Um, their announcement in 2015 where they said all, the, all these films that they were planning to make, several of those never got released. Several of the... Uh, you know, the idea that AT&T said where they were going to do six DC films a year, that didn't happen. It was going to be three on streaming on HBO Max and three big releases. Um, you know, Blue Beetle and Batgirl were supposed to be the first two films that were made for streaming. And they didn't happen. They haven't materialised. Batgirl's been cancelled. Blue Beetle's in limbo at the minute. <sighs> But this time, apparently, to, to prove they are serious, Warner Brothers Discovery are hiring new people to oversee DC because part of the issue with DC is that it has no one that's really in charge. Um, it was kind of supposed that Christopher Nolan would be in charge for a while, um, along with Zack Snyder. Then Justice League happened and uh, Nolan took was only sort of a producer then you know there was the negative response to batman v superman and what happened with justice league um that led to jeff johns who was a writer at dc he got promoted to that position uh he then stepped down walter hamada has been the the head of dc entertainment for a while now you know he almost stepped down over what happened with batgirl so, the new person whose shoulders a lot of things are on is Alan Frederick Horn. Alan Horn is a former president and chief creative officer of, um, or chief operations officer of Warner Brothers. He worked there between 1999 and 2012. He then served as chairman of Walt Disney Studios between 2012 and 2020. Um, and he was one of the people who helped sort of guide a lot of the early days of the MCU. Um, you know, he gave uh, Kevin Feige a bit more freedom, um, you know, under working with Disney. He, he developed a really good working relationship with Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm and 20th Century Studios, um, giving them all basically autonomy while being under Disney's overall ownership. And the quality that this had, you know, the effect that this had on the quality of the product being produced at Disney was very noticeable. I think anyone, everyone can agree that the Marvel films in sort of Phase 2 and Phase 3 are much stronger than... Um, than in phase one, uh, you know, from about 2014 onwards, once um, Horn's impact becomes more noticeable, um, you know, so especially from Guardians of the Galaxy and Winter Soldier, Marvel's been very, very successful. Um, the same has also been true of Pixar and Lucasfilm. As much as people might decry some of the films made in that time period, um, 
you know, there's been a lot of successes there. Um, Alan Horn, when he was working at Warner Brothers, he was involved in the entire Harry Potter film series. He was involved in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. He was an executive producer on all three films in the Hobbit trilogy. You know, he he's had hits and he's been responsible for hits at companies. And so he's been hired back to Warner Brothers Discovery and he has began serving as of early August a consultant to the company um, during its transitionary period and you know it is expected that he will become um, one of the main figureheads going forward but not the only figurehead. We are also looking at a character called Dan Lin. Now, Dan Lin, for anyone who doesn't know, he is the founder and CEO of Rideback, a film and television production company that he formed in 2008 and has a first look deal at Universal Pictures. Um he was also involved with producing several films for Warner Brothers, including the two Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films, um, as well as all four of the Lego movies, as well as It. Um, he's also worked as a producer on Disney's live-action Aladdin. Um, so again, he has successes to his name. He is apparently in talks to take over DC Films and Television at Warner Brothers. This has not been officially announced or revealed by Warner Brothers yet. This is only... Um, the story's only been broken by The Hollywood Reporter. Now, if he does take over this role, he has said there is a lot of things in DC that he would have done differently. But he also does seem to be familiar with these characters. I've I've spoken before about how I think Lego Batman movie is one of the best iterations of Batman. In part, no small part, because it's fun. <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, he's worked on other things as well. He was... He was involved in Godzilla King of the Monsters. He was involved in Godzilla v. Kong. He's... Um, you know, he's he's been involved in a lot of projects that I've liked. And, you know, he's working on some other projects that I'm quite interested in. The, the Lilo and Stitch remake at Disney, for example. So if he takes over this... Um, you know, he's also an executive producer on the new uh, Avatar The Last Airbender uh, live-action show. So... If he takes over DC, I'm kind of encouraged. Um, he said he wants to distance from the Snyderverse, which I think is fair enough. Um, you know, he's 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 not been particularly kind to Snyderverse. He was in um, discussions for one of the top jobs at DC years ago. Um, and he actually said he would have done a lot of things differently. So, I am intrigued to see 
if he takes over this role, if it's made official. And if he does, I am very curious to see what he does with DC. Because the recent films from DC and the upcoming projects, I've got to admit, I'm excited for them. Um, Birds of Prey, I loved. I thought it was a lot of fun. Shazam was brilliant. Um, Wonder Woman 84, I know critically it wasn't particularly well liked. I didn't find any major issues with it. Um, There's some elements of the storytelling that I'm not a huge fan of, but in terms of the actual performances and understanding of the character... I like, for example, that Wonder Woman saved the day by talking. That feels very, very Wonder Woman, appealing to the better nature of a character like Maxwell Lord. Um, You know, James Gunn's Suicide Squad was hilarious and the sort of film that DC should have been making years ago. Um, You know, it went full-on comic book weirdness and i loved it you know bringing on starro the conqueror a character i never thought i'd see in live action and bringing in starro the conqueror and having the suicide squad go up against him not the justice league the suicide squad absolutely ridiculous and i loved it you know that's the sort of comic book weirdness that was embraced wholeheartedly by marvel in 2012's Avengers Assemble and has been lacking for a while in comic book efforts on both sides um, you know there have been some films that have done the the crazy action like that but you know in terms of just a, a bonkers full on comic book third act Suicide Squad's right up there with Avengers Assemble in my opinion, uh, being incredible to watch. Um, Peacemaker, I'm still making my way through. Uh, What I have seen is incredible. I'm really looking forward to the ending. Um, The Batman has been, was really, really good. Um, Like, really, really good. Um, Black Adam looks like a lot of fun. Uh, despite some dour elements. Uh, Shazam 2, the new trailer looks incredible. Um, And then, of course, Aquaman and Flash, which we haven't seen much of. What we have seen does look good. And if Aquaman 2 does more of the same, I'm fully on board for that. So, you know, if we have someone who comes in and keeps DC on the direction it's on, but in a way that honours all those characters. Yeah, I'm fine with that. That said, I still want to see Batgirl. You know, Batgirl for me, the act of cancelling it, I'm not pleased by that. I don't think that's fair. Um, I don't think it's fair to the fans. I don't think it's fair to the creators. I think it was a bad move, but... That's just my opinion. Um, Hopefully one day it might see the light of day, but I'm not optimistic, unfortunately.
So, now I thought it might be fun to explore what I would do with the DCEU. Um, as someone who's not a huge fan of, you know, I'm not as well versed with the characters and the films as I am with, say, the Marvel Universe. Um, but there are certain steps I would take um, with these characters. So I decided to set myself this little challenge as to what I would do, and I did it as a kind of thought exercise more than anything else. Um, now, I set myself some caveats for this. Um, firstly, I must include the existing framework of the DCEU. So that's Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad 2016, the released version, not anything from the air cut, the Wonder Woman, the 2017 theatrical cut of Justice League, as much as I might like to include some of the elements that were incorporated in the Zack Snyder's Justice League, DC and Warner Brothers have made very clear that the 2017 Justice League is the only official version going forward. Now, as I said, and I've, I've done a whole podcast episode on this, contrasting the two, I do think there are a lot of good elements in the Snyder Cut um, that should be kept. That said, I also still find quite a lot to like in the original Justice League. Um, there are some scenes that are in the Justice League that are not in the Snyder Cut that when I watch the Snyder Cut, I miss, um, you know silly little character bits that are quite sweet and nice um but you know that's a discussion for another day um aquaman shazam joker joker's a weird one i'm not a huge fan of the joker film i find it really unnecessary but it is getting a sequel um called foil a deux which is madness of two um, which is supposedly going to star Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn. Um, I'm intrigued by it, but I'm not... I'm not excited, let's put it that way. I'm not a huge fan of Joker. I don't think it needs a sequel. Um, the whole film, to me, feels... feels like a, a really overt attempt to try and take comic books super seriously as awards bait and yeah i don't know it just doesn't hit the spot for me i know some people really like it i know a lot of the snyder bros seem to love it um you know the the, the same people who like the Zack snyder films seem to really like joker i'd, I'd much rather joker be funny um, which neither Suicide Squad or Joker gave me, so you know, I, I just I just think that a character called the Joker should actually be funny, which in films he hasn't been for a while, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Birds of Prey, which I've already spoken about, so I quite like Wonder Woman eighty four, the twenty twenty one Suicide Squad, and by extension the Peacemaker series, um. The Batman as an Elseworlds, I think we are going to get sequels of that, so it needs to be included somehow. Um, 
Black Adam, Shazam 2, Aquaman 2 and The Flash. The second caveat I gave myself was to try and get at least two films per year. I went over that in a few cases, as we'll see. And I also wanted to include big characters to build towards a new Justice League and a new sort of end point for this shared universe. Now, we know that in 2023, we are going to be getting... Uh, Shazam 2, which has now been pushed back again, um, Flash and Aquaman 2. I think uh, Flash, I, I want to say Shazam 2 has been pushed to sort of March or May time. Flash is now expected in the summer and Aquaman 2 is expected in the winter. Um, we might also be getting Blue Beetle. As I said, that's still up in the air. And we possibly might also be getting a second season of Peacemaker. Um, James Gunn has said that that is something he's working on with DC. Whether it's going to be releasing in 2023 or anything else, I don't know. Um, in 2024, um, presumably that is when Joker 2 will be released. Um, now, they could turn it around quicker than that. Um but I'm not sure. I would include, for my version of this universe, a third Wonder, Wonder Woman film that year. Now, the reason for this is um, Warner Brothers Discovery have put out statements saying that Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is something that they want to keep incorporating. There's rumours that she's going to be appearing in Flash, um, there's rumours that both her and Ben Affleck might also be appearing in Aquaman 2. So I think with Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman being something that DC wants to focus on, something that they think they've gotten right, I think pushing a third Wonder Woman film to be one of the newest projects coming up um, makes sense. As for the story, I would incorporate elements of the Wonder Woman graphic novel League of One. Now, in League of One, um, Wonder Woman is... Basically, she fights the Justice League um, because she learns that they are going to be killed in an upcoming battle. Um, it's all to do with prophecy and things like this. Um, and she decides to fight them so that she can fight the threat herself. Therefore, she will be the only one that dies. Now, I will incorporate elements of this plot. I will make Circe, um, as in the Greek mythological character Circe, the version of her that exists in the DC comics, the villain. She is one of Wonder Woman's main and most iconic villains. Um, and I think there's plenty of amazing actresses that could play her. I don't want to pick actors for the characters I'm going to include, mainly because I'm not as well versed in Hollywood, um, you know, megastars as I, I, I perhaps should be. But I think there's plenty of great actresses who could play Cersei and play her very well I would have Wonder Woman team up with the character of Asteria who was introduced in Wonder Woman 1984 uh, as played by Linda Carter with at the end of the film Asteria making the sacrifice rather than Diana 
Um, and obviously I would include cameos from other League members um, as Wonder Woman battles them, um, you know, to sort of discourage them from stopping her. Um, so Ben Affleck, uh, Jason Momoa, uh, Ezra Miller, Henry Cavill perhaps... For 2025, I think this would be around the time where I would expect a Batman sequel. Matt Reeves' Batman was in development for a, a while. Um, and I, th I don't think they'd want to rush the development. For me, while I'm not sure necessarily on what the story should be, there are... There's one major element I would want the second Batman film to include and one major villain, which I would prefer to see again. The villain, I would like to be Mr. Freeze. Because the way the first Batman film ended was in a way where Bruce now realises he can't just be vengeance. You know, vengeance is scaring people. Batman has to be a symbol of hope. He has to be a symbol of positive change for Gotham City. Mr. Freeze is one of the most tragic villains Batman has, where he does what he does because he is trying to save the life of his wife, Nora. Um, who is dying as a result of the the same accident that created him. And having Bruce trying to give the city hope while also taking hope away from this one man in Mr. Freeze, I think would create an excellent... Um, dichotomy for the character which would create some, some very very good emotional wrangling which I think Pattinson can play very very well um, that doesn't mean Mr Freeze has to be the only villainous element in the film obviously the first film featured not just Paul Dano's Riddler but also Colin Farrell's Penguin uh, John Turturro's Falcone uh, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman so there's there's plenty of ways I think to balance more elements to this story um, but I do think Mr Freeze as a villainous presence is a good one um, especially because I don't think Freeze should be the main villain I, I, I always think one of my favourite versions of Mr Freeze done recently was in the Arkham games um, specifically the his use in Arkham City and in the DLC for Arkham Knight, where Batman does plead to Mr. Freeze's character of being like, you know, help me, help me do the right thing because it's what your wife would have wanted. And I think that needs to be kept and incorporated here. So, you know, having a greater threat might also be a good idea. 
But the one element that I would really want them to include is Robin. And before anyone says, oh, you know, Robin is the one thing that can't be taken seriously. Get out of here with that nonsense. Robin is one of the most critical and long-standing elements to the Batman comic books. Robin predates the Joker. You know, Robin appeared in 1938. The Batman comics were the dynamic duo of Batman the Cape Crusader and Robin the Boy Wonder for so long. You know, they were they were Batman and Robin longer than they were Batman on their own. And even the sort of dour elements that we've had in recent years where Batman has been dark and serious post-crisis, you know, with, with Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns and um, other elements like that, Robin is still part of this story and Robin needs to be included. Um, you know, plus imagine the the storytelling potential. How would someone like Commissioner Gordon react if all of a sudden Bruce Wayne, or not Bruce Wayne, Batman turns up with a kid in tow? You know, think about the, the darker elements that were in that first Batman film. And now all of a sudden Batman is exposing a child to that. And it doesn't have to be a child, but a teenager. Robin should be played by a teenager who grows up with these films. And Robin, to me, is one of the biggest elements that should be included in any future Batman films. Besides, it's been we've had so many films with Batman on his own. We need a good film with Batman and Robin. And I think Matt Reeves' Batman films would be the ones to do it. Um... Also in uh, 2025, I would include a new Superman movie. I think it is crucial that DC get a handle on Superman. Um, now, whether that involves Henry Cavill or a completely new actor, there have been, you know, Henry Cavill wants to do it. You know, he, he is a Superman fan. He wants to play this character. Let him. If that's what he wants to do, let him do it. You know, if... You know, they've they've tried other ideas. Uh, you know, J.J. Abrams and Tanisi Coates have both made Superman pitches in recent years that have been sat in development hell at Warner Brothers. Um, but so let's have Superman. Let's... You know, the last thing we heard about Superman in the DCEU, I think he appears as a, uh, you know, a cameo at the end of uh, Peacemaker, played by a stunt double. But, you know, he was... We find out that Bloodshot put him in a coma in Suicide Squad. Let's have him awaken from that coma. Let's... You know, let's use that as a point of rebooting the character, trying to to redefine his place in this world. You know, who he is as Superman. And 
you know, while I'm not a huge fan of the Superman character that's been built up so far, I don't necessarily think it was an issue with performance. I think it was an issue with writing. Zack Snyder does not understand Superman. Um, Joss Whedon's take on it was slightly better, and some aspects of the finale of um, the Snyder Cut were better. But... I don't think Superman should be brooding. I don't think he should be used as a, a Christ analogy. I don't think he should be morose. Superman needs to be fun and hopeful. And we need elements where it's like... Like, one of the things in the Justice League that really annoys me is the opening from the, the 2017 theatrical cut where some kid's asking, you know, what's your favourite thing about Earth? Superman grew up on Earth. He should have a million answers to that question. You know, baseball, mum's apple pie, um, you know, chocolate. You know, he, he go ridiculously camp and kitsch with it. I want Superman to be a man out of time. I want Superman to feel ridiculously optimistic and wholesome in the same way that someone like Captain America does. Um, you know, Superman, as much as he's always called the man of tomorrow, you know, he's also the avatar of truth, justice in the American way. You know, let him feel ridiculous and silly. Let him feel camp. It was one of the joys of the Christopher Reeve films was how out of touch in some respects Clark Kent felt. He felt like good old boy, small town America um, coming to the big city. So, yeah, that's the sort of Superman I want to see. And I think that really needs to be focused in a new Superman character. Now, I do think the build-up of Darkseid and the New Gods and the Anti-Life Equation, which was done a lot better in the Suicide Squad, I will admit. Uh, not in the Suicide Squad, in the Snyder Cut. Um, is a good a good element to go with, and I think it is a good element to incorporate going forward in this version of the story. Um, so for this Superman movie, I would have Brainiac be the villain. For starters, because I think Brainiac is one of Superman's best villains, and also because he's never been in a film. Um, you know, Brainiac comes to planets and collects part of them. I'd have Brainiac as this villain and have him come to Earth to try and save part of Earth before Darkseid returns. Because if we are incorporating the existing DCEU as the groundwork for this, we've already had Steppenwolf. We've already had the build-up with Lex Luthor. We know these villains are coming. We know the new gods are coming. Anna DuVernay was going to create her own version of the new gods and it got cancelled. But I think 
even if you don't count the Snyder Cut and we don't count that interactions that our heroes have with Darkseid there, you know, we know that they were still the end point of where this story started. And so they need to be what we end up with. But I also don't think it should be rushed. I think had the Snyder Cut or a version of it come out in 2017 with those plot elements because I, I truly I, I truly think if you were to go between justice league and the snyder cut and edit both of them together you could get a decent three hour maybe three and a half hour movie that would hit everything it needs to i mean cut out the ridiculous nightmare sequence at the end and you've already saved yourself half an hour um because that nightmare sequence invalidates the whole point of the Suicide Squad. Uh, not the Suicide Squad, the Snyder Cut. Why do I keep saying Suicide Squad when I mean Snyder Cut? Um, you know, it invalidates the whole point of the Snyder Cut. It's like it goes against Cyborg's vision and how that changes the timeline. <laughs> you know, Cyborg has that vision of the evil future Superman. And then he's able to use that vision to influence their decisions in the moment to prevent that future from happening. But then the nightmare sequence shows that, no, oh, no, that's the future anyway. We're still screwed. Really? Unnecessary. I don't think that nightmare sequence adds anything. And considering it was one of the only things that was added in reshoots, I don't see why it was done. But that's another discussion. Um, guess which part of the, the Snyder Cut I switch off when I get there. Uh, <laughs> now, anyway, after a new Superman and a new Batman, I think the other part of the DCEU that is currently working is the Suicide Squad. And so I think we need another Suicide Squad movie. Now... I would do Suicide Squad 3. Um, I'd ha I personally would probably have the squad sent by Waller against another government institution. Maybe Cadmus. Um, you know, Cadmus you could introduce in Superman as a plot element. Um, have them maybe being controlled by the villain Parasite. Or maybe the Suicide Squad gets sent into Gorilla Country to fight Gorilla Grodd. You know, let's go let's go weird with it. Let's do something bizarre. But I'm sure whatever I could come up with, James Gunn would have a much better idea. So there's no point in me even guessing. It's like just just let the man do whatever he's going to do. Whether he uses the same characters he's already established in Suicide Squad uh, twenty twenty one or not. You know, I'd, I'd be interested to see what he does. For 2026, I would, by this point, be looking at Aquaman 3, a new Justice League movie, and the third Shazam movie. Now, for Aquaman 3, I think you should explore the magical side of the DCEU and start to explore that um the there is a magical villain who is an atlantean which is uh arion and so i think 
bringing the character of Arian, this ancient Atlantean, into the modern age and showing the magic that this character has at their fingertips um, would be a good way to sort of explore that. Plus, you also get the element of Aquaman being a character who's not well-versed in magic, being thrown in as kind of a, a fish out of water, um, <laughs> you know, pardon the pun, in this storyline. You can have uh, maybe introduced Dr. Fate, who is appearing in Black Adam, uh, played by Pierce Brosnan, or Wonder Woman as supporting roles in this, you know, both of whom having a bit more experience with magic than Aquaman does. But not in a way that Aquaman gets overshadowed. So, yeah, I do think that's uh, a potential one. Um, and I think Arian would be a good, you know, Act 3 villain for Aquaman, because... You know, let's assume all these films are going to end in trilogies. This is a good one. Um, for Justice League 2, I would feature Lex's League. And I would say that, again, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, I don't think it's the performance. He's recently spoken about how he worked quite well with Chris Terrio to construct the performance based around what had been written for the character. The performance, the the role he is performing, he is performing very, very well. The issue I have is that that role doesn't feel like Lex Luthor. And the reason for that, to me, again, is the writing. So, I'm not going to blame Jesse Eisenberg for anything that he's done there. Because, to me, he's done what he was told to do. Now, the first Justice League movie ended with him meeting with Darkseid and suggesting that they build a league of their own. So let's have Lex's League. Let's bring in um, villains that perhaps we may have been built in previous films. Let's maybe introduce some new characters to the League. How about Green Lantern? You know, we established the Green Lantern rings in both versions of Justice League. So let's have a human Green Lantern. For me, I would have Jon Stewart. Um, let's have Hawkgirl. You know, Jon Stewart and Hawkgirl were key members of the Justice League Unlimited cartoon series uh, and the Justice League cartoon series in the early 2000s. People recognise those characters and associate them with the Justice League. They've even returned to the Justice League in the recent comic runs. Um, along with Martian Manhunter. Now, the Snyder Cut suggested that Martian Manhunter is actually the character of Colonel Swanwick. While I'm not against that casting, um, I am against it being the character of Swanwick because this seems like something that was added in after... Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Like, the character in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman of Swanwick does not match the idea that Swanwick is actually Martian Manhunter and has been all along. So, unless you to explain that Martian Manhunter took over the role of Swanwick at some point in the recent past, I don't like that idea. 
But yeah, um, Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, Martian Manhunter. Maybe introduce some new villains to Lex's League. Let's have, you know, a new version of Captain Cold, maybe. Let's have, um, you know, bring back Kirsten Wiggs Cheetah. Um, you know, bring in Black Manta. You know, there's plenty of good characters they could bring in um, for this. So... Yeah, I'd be intrigued to see what they could do. They could even bring in a whole load of um, some of the more ridiculous comic book characters, like Giganta. Is Giganta ever going to get a film all by herself? Probably not. Maybe even bring in some of the Suicide Squad characters. You know, some of the characters who have survived one or, or the other of the Suicide Squad movies and have them now, maybe they've escaped from Bell Rev and they've joined... Lex's League. That might be interesting. Maybe it could be a way to bring back Deadshot. You know, wanting revenge on Batman for, you know, arresting him in front of his daughter. There's a lot of potential here. Now, Shazam 3, for me, you should bring Shazam versus Black Adam. Um... Dwayne Johnson said he didn't want to play Black Adam in the first Shazam film. He he felt like uh, Shazam and Black Adam should both be established on their own before they um, found themselves opposed. And I've got to say I agree with that. I think had Black Adam been the villain in the first Shazam movie, the first Shazam movie wouldn't have been as good. And I also don't think introducing Black Adam as a villain immediately would have given us the development for that character that it looks like we're going to get in Black Adam. You know, Black Adam is a complex character. He's not just an out-and-out villain. And as much as Dwayne Johnson is sort of led by his own ego and is turning Black Adam into his film, not necessarily a DC film, um, you know he does seem to care about the character and want to do this character justice. So I'm down with that. I'm fine with that. Um, so yeah, bring the two together, have them fight, maybe have the other Shazam family members involved, but then team them up against another villain. Don't just have them fight. Maybe establish, call the film, you know, Shazam versus Black Adam. But, you know, team them up in the end. Give them a, a combined villain to fight. You know, Black Adam is apparently going to be fighting Sabak in his own film. And um, Shazam at this point will have gone up against Savannah. Um, the post credit sequence in the first film suggests Mr. Mind coming in. So, yeah, maybe Savannah and Mr. Mind team up. Um to fight them both that would be interesting so yeah i also think this would probably be about the time we'd be getting a blue beetle too if we haven't had it already i will say i'm not going to speculate on any of the streaming movies ideally for my dceu i would have other projects happening on hbo max or on streaming um to build these shows up to build these films up either as television shows or as tv movies or whatever um you know in the same way that marvel is using disney plus 
to develop other characters like Moon Knight and Miss Marvel who will eventually cross over with the movies or can just be developed on their own terms. You know, characters like Moon Knight, She-Hulk, you know, these are characters that can be developed in their own properties. Daredevil as well can be developed in their own properties um, and then maybe incorporated in the films, maybe not. Um, I think the same should be true of DC. We should have characters like Green Arrow or Batgirl, you know. We should have them developed in their own projects on TV. You know, if Disney can go and get some of the stars that it is getting on shows like you know, on the shows that it is making for Marvel and Star Wars. DC can easily do the same. You know, these are characters with long storied histories, you know, between 60 and 70, 80 years for a lot of them. You know, bring them in. Let's let's do some good stuff with them. Let's do it. Um... But yeah, 2027, I think this might be a good time to do a Harley Quinn movie. Now, hopefully, Marvel, uh, sorry, DC will do a Harley Quinn movie before then. Ideally, I'd also like to see a sequel to Birds of Prey 2. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd like to see one. Um, Again, that might be an idea for the, the sort of the smaller um focus story but harley quinn margot robbie's harley quinn has been something that has been overwhelmingly well received um the harley quinn animated series is also something that has been overwhelmingly well received um you know in fact it's one of the few things that we know is getting another season season three has is is either currently still airing or has just finished and season three season four has already been approved we know it's coming so you know hopefully we will get another harley quinn film um i know birds of prey wasn't hugely successful it it came out in the february shortly before covid really hit and that probably affected it but i know it has done well on hbo max's streaming um and so i do think bringing harley quinn back and developing her giving her another film giving her poison ivy to bounce off of you know this is a character everyone wants to see they want to see poison ivy they want the relationship between harley quinn and poison ivy developed um you know maybe even including someone like joker as the villain or maybe a brand new villain like someone like the mad hatter could be more interesting you could even have the return of the birds of prey or introduce a new version of batgirl or bring back black canary in this as well i'd I'd be fine with that i think it'd be great to see a new harley quinn and it could also serve as a breather between these event movies you know and i think in using it as a springboard to introduce a load of characters or to develop other characters could also be a great thing like 
you know, maybe in the year before uh, HBO Max has its own Swamp Thing series, like a brand new Swamp Thing series, and they introduce Poison Ivy in that. Um, you know, maybe they even develop Swamp Thing out of a, a Constantine TV movie. You know, and they introduce Poison Ivy as an avatar of the green in the same way that the Swamp Thing is, and then bring Poison Ivy into the film to team up with Harley Quinn. You know, build that interconnectivity that's been working so well for Marvel. You know, use that for DC. I think it would be a great idea. Later in 2027, I would include Superman. Uh, I think a Superman sequel. And for this, I would have him find his way to Earth 2. Now, this would be the first real exploration of the multiverse since The Flash for me. Um, Earth 2, in the comics, it's varied between Earth 2 and Earth 3. But it's generally accepted as an Earth where the heroes are the villains and vice versa. So, have Superman find his way to Earth 2 where he finds the crime syndicate led by his evil counterpart, Ultraman. Now, if you have had Superman recast, perhaps bring Henry Cavill in as Ultraman. If you haven't, you could bring someone else in as Ultraman. You know, bring in Dean Cain. You know, or Brandon Routh. Brandon Routh does a very, very good Superman. I know a lot of people write off Superman Returns. Watch Crisis on Infinite Earths. He does a brilliant Superman. Um, maybe even Tyler Hucklin um, from Superman and Lois, who is doing very, very well. Perhaps have alternate versions of all the heroes on this world played by actors either from the DCEU or by others, you know, have Michael Keaton as Batman, have Grant Gustin as Flash, have Linda Carter as uh, Wonder Woman, or, you know, their evil analogues, which would be Owlman, uh, Johnny Quick, and Superwoman, you know, or maybe, and here's an idea, maybe instead of um, having... Batman, you know, be be Owlman in this universe, how about maybe having him be the character of the Batman who laughs and have Michael Keaton play the Batman who laughs? Now, to me, that would be brilliant. For anyone who doesn't know, the Batman who laughs is a villainous version of the Batman who has been corrupted by Joker Toxin who originated in the Dark Multiverse. Now, anyone who knows the comics may maybe get an idea of where I'm going with this, because the Dark Multiverse is like another multiverse where dark concepts originate, and it's sort of an abandoned multiverse, and it's separate from the main 52 Earths of the DC Universe, of the, the established DC multiverse. The multiverse is a massive thing in DC, is what I'm saying, and it's much more complex than it is in Marvel. Um, you know, there is a structure and an order to the multiverse. The dark multiverse is this twisted reflection. And, you know, having the Batman who laughs could be a much more interesting way to do this character. 
And again, you could also have Jesse Eisenberg return because in the alternate world, Lex Luthor's a hero. So let's have Superman and Lex Luthor, who we've seen go head to head, now be forced to collaborate. You know, this Lex Luthor doesn't trust our Superman. Our Superman doesn't trust this Lex Luthor. That could be an interesting idea, I think. For the third film of 2027, I would work on the Green Lantern Corps. I think they'd be well overdue by this point, uh, you know, considering their film was originally supposed to come out in 2019. Um, take the Green Lantern off-world to meet the other members of the Corps. Um, I'd have Sinestro as the main villain with his yellow ring, and I'd start to adapt the story as a version of the Sinestro Core War, which is a big Green Lantern story from, um, I believe, sort of 2009-2010. Very, very good story. Um, features a massive war between not just the Green Lantern Corps, but the Sinestro Corps, which is an, an evil version of the Green Lanterns. You know, their own representatives led by Sinestro, who was a former Green Lantern. The thing with Green Lantern is there's... There was obviously the film with Ryan Reynolds. And again, Ryan Reynolds might be a great person to bring in as the Earth 2 version of Green Lantern, who is called Power Ring. Um, that could be a lot of fun. But Green Lantern bombed. But watching it, it's not... It's not doing a terrible job in terms of adapting the elements of the mythos. It just does it very clumsily and with a lot of exposition and a lot of telling, not showing. And that's the problem. The thing is, Green Lantern is very rich. It's got a very deep lore. And I think maybe exploring some of that lore a bit more introducing green lantern before we introduce the rest of the mythos will help um so this is why i would introduce green lantern in a justice league movie and then spin him off into his own movie in a similar way to how black panther was introduced in the marvel universe um you know we got black panther in civil war introducing us to the character and who he is but then wakanda was explored in the Black Panther movie. Similar sort of thing here. I'd introduce Jon Stewart, maybe even Hal Jordan as well, or Kyle Rayner, some other Green Lantern for him to bounce off of. Jessica Cruz might be a good one. Um, and from there, develop that character further and show that character's universe because we're by that point we're already attached to the character and we already understand exactly who the character is and from there we can get introduced to some of their more fantastical elements and i think a loose adaptation of the sinestro core storyline could be an interesting one um and i think should be where they should go if they want to adapt the biggest most high profile stuff for these characters that's the way to go make each film feel like an event in in essence 
2028, by this point, I would be looking at Batman 3. I would have Batman and Robin together um, dealing with a much grander villain. Now, Joker is the obvious one to use here. But personally, I wouldn't. Personally, I'd rather see someone like the Court of Owls. Um, perhaps with someone like Bane as an enforcer or with elements of the storyline Hush. Um, the Court of Owls are a secretive group in control of Gotham. They're going to be, you know, they appeared in the television series Gotham in season two. They're also being explored as the villains in the new Gotham Knights game, which is coming out later this year. They are an interesting threat. Um, you know, the secret society that controls Gotham. They're also a relatively recent introduction to the comics. They were only introduced in the New 52. Um, so we're talking 2011, 2012 that they were introduced. Um, Bane being an enforcer for them. You know, Bane is much more than just a heavy. Um, so I'd have him as someone who is involved in the court's plans. But Hush, I think, might be a bit more interesting for this. For people who don't know, Hush is the character um, Thomas Elliot. He is a childhood friend of Bruce Wayne's who tried to kill his own parents in a way that mirrored the death of um, Bruce's own parents um, by engineering their car to crash. The car crashed and his father died, but his mother survived. His mother then, um, you know, survived disabled. She lost a large amount of her fortune, which Thomas had been looking to inherit. And this pulled Hush into a, a vendetta, not just against, not against Batman, but against Bruce Wayne. And... The actual storyline Hush by uh, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee is it's mainly done as a 12 part epic to sort of have Jim Lee draw or and reintroduce a lot of these disparate disparate elements of Batman's mythos. Um, but Hush is a good storyline and having Hush, having Thomas Elliot as the character of Hush and maybe be a member of the court um, and targeting Bruce Wayne specifically, and then learning about Bruce Wayne's connection to um, Batman, that could be very interesting. And I think Hush is a, a villain who is long overdue film appearance. Um, as I said, Joker would be obvious, but I remember back when the Arrowverse wanted to introduce their own version of the Suicide Squad and Warner Brothers turned around and said that they couldn't and actually forbade them from using certain characters because those characters were going to appear in the 2016 Suicide Squad. There is a potential that Warner Brothers could do this again, you know, not want to have too many versions of the same characters appearing even with the multiverse being a more accepted concept by um, audiences. And in fact, the multiverse that, you know, that 
DC before the Discovery merger tried to distance themselves from the DC Extended Universe brand. They started to call it the Worlds of DC. Um, this was something they introduced at Fandom a couple of years ago, where they wanted to explore multiple different worlds where you could have things like Joker and Batman, but also the DCEU, but also the Arrowverse and all these other things um, as different worlds. Whether that's still going to be a thing or not, I don't know. Um, so, you know, it could be possible that they may not want too many versions of the Joker around at the same time, or too many versions of Harley Quinn around at the same time. This is another reason, re reason why my Harley Quinn film was so late on, despite Margot Robbie being so popular, because Joker 2 is going to be pushing Lady Gaga as a new Harley Quinn. So... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. My second film of that year, I'd have Flash 2. I would bring in possibly Reverse Flash or Zoom. I'm not sure which identity the character uses in the comic books, but the character of Eobard Thorn coming back from the future to battle the Flash. I would perhaps also introduce other heroes such as Firestorm or the time-travelling Booster Gold. Um, Firestorm is a character made up of a scientist and a young man. They sort of merge due to comic book shenanigans and they're able to fight in a super-powered form that, while fiery, like a, a nuclear furnace, um, is essentially able to change chemical properties. Um which is an interesting idea and even when the character was included in Legends of Tomorrow was one of their less explored ideas as a character. So it could be very interesting to see that. Booster Gold is a more ego-driven hero from the future um, who's kind of driven by fame and sort of travels back in time to find fame. So having him come from that same future as the reverse Flash could be interesting. Um, I would also try and include a secondary villain, someone like Cap Captain Cold, maybe, um, who can, you know, who is a villain but has a code of honor, and is maybe pushed to his limit by someone like the reverse Flash, and maybe teams up against Flash to fight him. Captain Cold had this in the comics recently. In the New 52, he was incorporated as a member of the Justice League alongside Lex Luthor um, after helping to save the world. So that could be an element that I think could be used here. The third film, I would introduce the concept of the New Gods, and I would focus this on a film based around Mr. Miracle. Uh, Mr. Miracle is the character Scott Free. He is one of the New Gods, and his skill is escapology. He is able to escape from pretty much any trap. Um, He's quite famous among the New Gods for forming a relationship with the character of Big Barda. Barda is a member of the Female Furies. They are led by Granny Goodness, who is one of Darkseid's chief enforcers. Um, Barda betrays the Female Furies and joins Scott Free as... Uh, you know, as... as 
as his lover and as his partner, and they also become members of the Justice League in several iterations. Now, I would focus the film around those two characters, you know, introduce the new gods, introduce their new world, but keep it focused tightly on these two characters. Maybe have Scott Free living on Earth, maybe maybe he's aware that he's a new god, maybe he isn't. Um and I think this this film could also act as build and prelude for the new Justice League. I would also perhaps maybe include the Hawks. Um, I don't know if Hawkman is going to survive Black Adam, but maybe Hawk Girl, um, and maybe even Wonder Woman, and you know introduce them into this storyline as well as supporting characters. I think they could be fun to include and maybe tie elements of the new gods to the old gods um you know through wonder woman or the hawks and introduce ideas of what they are and this is where i'd start to build the story threads to a conclusion in 2029 i would have superman 3 i would finish the trilogy as Superman along with Batman and Wonder Woman and and I would adapt the original run of Trinity. Now Trinity was a weekly comic that featured a alternate universe version of the Riddler known as the character known as Enigma who teamed up with um, Lex Luthor and a Wonder Woman villain to try and remake reality and remove the heroes. There was a lot of amazing elements in Trinity. I haven't read it in years. I could probably do with going back to it because it's one of those that I remember bits of, but it was there was a lot to it. It was very complex. It involved the tarot, uh, tarot, tarot. Um, it involved all these big elements that weaved for a very fascinating story. Um, and it was a, a character study on the three members of the Trinity, but also a exploration of the DC universe as a whole. And I think something similar, something that adapts that, maybe features Lex Luthor and Cersei, um, could be very, very good to try and remake reality and remove the heroes, but Superman brings the Trinity back together. And maybe reimagine several characters in this new world. This could also work as a kind of a soft reboot. Um, you know, there's been rumours that Flash is going to be doing something similar to this with its own soft reboot, introducing things like Supergirl. I really hope Sasha Cal gets to play Supergirl in her own spin-off movie, um, which was originally planned. Uh, whether that will happen anymore, I don't know. But the video where she was given the role, she was so excited to play this character um, that I kind of really hope it happens for her. And, you know, you could do something similar here with this Superman movie. And as I said, it was an alternate ver reality version of the Riddler as Enigma. So I would have him played by Paul Dano. And I would have it be that version of the Riddler. The version of the Riddler from the Batman, the Matt Reeves Batman universe coming into the main DC universe. Because I think that could be a lot of fun. 
The second film I'd release that year would be Green Lantern Corps 2. I would continue the adaptation of the Sinestro Corps by perhaps introducing the rest of the emotional spectrum. In the Green Lanterns, uh, in their mythos, the Green Lanterns themselves represent will. And the idea is that each colour of the rainbow represents a different emotion. So red is rage, orange is greed, um yellow is fear green is willpower um then there is uh blue for hope um indigo for compassion and violet for love and these represent the emotional spectrum that all living organisms are governed by and I think introducing elements of that emotional spectrum into these films. We've already established the Green Lanterns as powered by will. We've established Sinestro as being powered by fear. Let's introduce the rest of the emotional spectrum. Now, these tend to be uh, specified by certain characters. Um, Star Sapphire, who is most commonly... Um, Hal Jordan's romantic partner Carol Ferris, although one of um, uh, John Stewart's um, villains also became uh, well one of his romantic uh, prospective romantic leads also became a star sapphire as well. Um, so have a star sapphire that could play a part in this. Uh, Atrocitus is the main alien known for being associated with the Red Lanterns. Saint Walker is one of the ones most closely associated um, with the Blue Lanterns. Laphalese is an alien who is the main... He's the only exemplar of the Orange Lanterns. He's known as Agent Orange. Um... He is a, a great character. He's just driven by greed. Like, he killed all of the other Orange Lanterns so that he could have their rings. Um, you know, and he forms avatars of them out of Orange Energy to use. It's incredible. Um, and I'd have this as, like, a cosmic adventure story. Travelling to different planets. Um, maybe even set up um, the darkness that is outside of this emotional light, which in the comics was um, the darkness of death, and this led to a storyline called Blackest Night in 2011, where the avatar of death, um, the villain Black Hand, as well as um, you know the embodiment of death, the character of Necron, um, tried to launch a war on the universe but I might tie this into the Dark Multiverse. And in Dark Knight's Metal, the story that introduced the Dark Multiverse, they introduced a villain called Barbatos. And they connected him to the Hawks and several other um, cosmic DC elements. And that is what I would have as one of the main villains here would be Barbatos. And I would tie the Green Lanterns to this. And all of this would then lead into the culmination of the storyline, which would be Justice League 3 and 4. 
So, 2030, um, I would end the DCEU, or at least end the storyline that had been built to this point with Justice League 3 and Justice League 4, or at least a Justice League Part 1 and 2, um, doing two parts of the same storyline. Um, I would have everything that has been laid down come together. All these heroes come together. Um, and obviously Marvel, by this point, would have beaten DC to the punch. They would have done this, not just with Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame um, being a year apart, but also the recently announced uh, Avengers Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars, which are both due in 2025. But I think if a storyline is worth telling, it's worth telling right. And DC have added a lot of elements in the comics recently that could come together into a story like this. Um, you know, Darkseid would be the big obvious villain of this universe and doing a storyline that would be inspired by the new 52's dark side war which saw dark side going against the anti-monitor and ended up giving the justice league powers of the new gods so for example batman got access to the chair of metreon uh, metreon is able to tell you anything he he can answer any question and Batman used this to try and figure out the identity of the Joker and learned that, in fact, there were three Jokers, uh, which was his own interesting concept. Um, you know, so that could be a story element that could be interesting to see. Um, Final Crisis, which came out in 2010, which is one of the more elaborate comic book elements, you know, comic book events ever made, um and features it was written by Grant Morrison and features dark side getting the finding out what the anti-life equation is and using it to take control of earth um you know that's another obvious idea to bring in dark side and have him fight the justice league and the heroes of dc however i also think adapting elements of Blackest Night, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and Dark Knight's Metal would be a way to go. Uh, I already alluded to Blackest Night when I spoke about Necron. Blackest Night involved um, black lantern rings going around the universe, bringing the dead back to life as servants, with the idea that Necron would remove all light in the universe by destroying the lantern cores all of them and it was an interesting concept it came shortly before the new 52 relaunch which is a shame because i think a lot of the elements that it introduced never really paid off um not in the way that they could have done so that's that's one issue uh i have with it and and like i said i'd i'd 
elements of it of like the darkness wanting to come back could be interesting uh crisis on infinite earths obviously i've spoken about it before it was the storyline that um saw the anti-monitor from the anti-matter universe um come to try and destroy the main multiverse um the thing is with crisis on infinite earths i already think the arrowverse did a really good interpretation of that storyline um and aside from bringing in the anti-monitor i'm not sure what else could be done here and i think if we were going to bring in the anti-monitor you'd bring him in in the same way that the dark side war used him where he would be another element that dark side might be trying to conquer um but i do think the elements of bringing the universe together and creating a stable earth where all of these multiversal worlds are on um would be an element of crisis on infinite earths that i would try and keep like for example this is how i would bring in batterson's um batman and robin into this world and maybe some of the elements of earth 2 maybe some of the elements of um you know all these other storylines that i've explored here um and then Dark Knight's Metal, like I said, I've mentioned Dark Knight's Metal already. That was the storyline that introduced the Batman who laughs. It introduced Barbatos. It introduced Batman. It, it, you know, it picked up on the idea of Batman being a more integral figure of the universe um, by exposing him to several important metals, which would allow for a dark ritual to happen. And, you know, DC have suggested they want to keep using Ben Affleck. This could be a good way of doing it. Um, and you know having a dark Justice League led by the Batman who laughs that maybe includes characters like Paul Dano's Riddler or some of these others that I've introduced and developed throughout the course of this thought experiment um, and the idea of this dark multiverse wanting to overcome the main multiverse and just ending it with a big superhero fight. Like, Dark Knight's Metal is epic at moments. Like, moments of it are suitably epic. It is a lot of fun to read. There's some quite optimistic elements, and there's a good way to build um, for the future in the aftermath of it. Um, and I think combining a lot of these elements could create something truly incredible where you could have the multiverse elements and the darkness you could combine elements of the characters of barbatos and the anti-monitor into the interpretation of dark side in this universe and you know incorporate elements of his goals and i think while this would all be coming out long after Marvel have done most of their multiverse stuff, after they've done the Infinity War and everything like that that they have accomplished, and it would look like DC is trying to catch up, I think if done well, um, this could be a story that could truly rival all the attempts that Marvel have made over the years and stand on its own legs as something that came from flawed beginnings but built into something so epic 
because as many missteps as there are in the early DCEU, they are clearly building towards something. And whatever they were building towards has been lost in the recent films. So refocusing and building back to that big event, I think, is the way to go. And so that is what I would do. I would have this giant building storyline where we have all these heroes come together, you know, as well as their villains, come against this big all-encompassing threat that could maybe threaten the entire safety of the multiverse not just the the dc universe or not just earth but the entire multiverse could be threatened and then have our heroes stop that you know perhaps with sacrifice as well you know, maybe the entire Trinity dies. Maybe Ben Affleck lays down his life as Batman to stop the Batman who laughs, you know, and is replaced in this new universe by Robert Pattinson's Batman. Or at least Robin comes over alone. And, you know, in the future, you could build the Teen Titans around that Robin. A Robin that's already been established and developed and we've watched grow up in this universe and have him transition into Nightwing with the Teen Titans around him. Because Dick Grayson as well is supposed to be one of the best heroes DC has. You know, he's a hero who grew up mentored by Batman but also influenced by the members of the Justice League, by Superman, by Wonder Woman and came out of Batman's shadow to become influenced by the best heroes the DC Universe has. You know, I mentioned in a previous episode, um, the storyline Infinite Crisis, um, Kal-El, who is the Superman of the original Earth 2, the original 1930s Superman, he comes to Bruce Wayne in that storyline and says, you have to help me restore my world because everything was better on that world. And Bruce responds with, even Dick? And Kal-El can't answer because he knows that Dick Grayson in this universe, a, a Dick Grayson who turned his back on the Robin identity and became Nightwing and grew and developed as his own character, is better than the Dick Grayson who grew up and became an adult Robin. And... I think that's something that would need to be developed moving forward. You know, maybe the superhero bubble will have burst by then. I don't think it will, because these, as I said, these are comics characters that have been going for so long that I think audiences have been hungry for them in comic form for decades that I don't think the comic book movie bubble is going to burst by 2030. That's only 30 years since X-Men and Spider-Man. Would the idea of this long-form storytelling have, have passed by then? Yeah, maybe. But at least if you're going to end this storyline, end it with something worth ending it on. 
you know, by this point you would have had well over 15 years of development building to this this one storyline. And I think if it could be done amazingly well. And I haven't sat down and written a script or written a plot-by-plot analysis. I'd have to reread a lot of DC Comics to do that. But I think elements of these big events that DC have had and tying them together to create something epic focused around these characters, focused around heroes making the ultimate stance against the ultimate evil for the fate of existence, that's the way to go. That's the the big grand form storytelling that DC needs with these characters and these storylines. And I think if, you know, I think if Warner Brothers really want a 10-year plan for DC, building to something amazing is going to be the way to do it. And I think there's a lot of great storylines in DC that they can draw from. And this is just what I would do. And by this point, we would have had another 10 years worth of comic books to draw on. But I think there's a lot of potential there in DC. There's a lot of potential in these characters and in these storylines that up until now, Warner Brothers has squandered. And I think they really need to get a handle on it. If you're going to build and end the DCEU within 10 years, do it properly. Make it something worth doing. I mean, this is me going up to 2030. This isn't me going for 10 years. 10 years will be 2032. But, you know, building to something incredible is the way to go here. And I really hope it happens. And I really hope it's done well. But we'll see. So, thanks for listening to all that, my friends. Um, yeah, it turns out I had a lot more to say than I thought I would. Um, it's a very, it's mostly a negative episode, this one, which I don't like to do, but... Yeah, the whole Warner Brothers Discovery thing, the whole merger to me is... You know, to be blunt and to swear, it's been the shit that keeps on shitting. There is so much terrible news that keeps coming out of DC. People are losing their jobs. A lot of diverse talent is being fired. Um, Diverse projects are being removed. You know, even the idea that, that things that were created for a streaming service are now being removed from that streaming service and there is no way to watch them for a lot of people 
you know that that in itself is a horrifying forebear of the whole idea of we don't own anything anymore it's we, we, we rent it we pay a license fee for it and it can be removed by the license holder at any time so yeah there's a lot of negatives in this whole thing but unfortunately it is what it is I did have fun with my thought experiment on what I would do with the DCEU and that's why I chose to end this video with that I thought that was a much more fun storyline um, you know a much more fun way to do this podcast rather than just focus on everything that was happening and, and talking about Ezra Miller and the cancellations and all the other things but this probably won't be the last time I mention what's happening at Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers Discovery um, you know I'm going to be talking about the Arrowverse later on this season like I said I want to talk about um, you know the Arrowverse is approaching its 10th anniversary but it's also approaching its end point I think I want to discuss Mortal Kombat in October which is another Warner Brothers property um, so yeah we'll see how these things go um, that said um, I've had a lot of fun um, discussing this I'm I, you know I am going to be talking about Warner Brothers again uh, whether I want to or not um, so we'll see what happens with them I suppose um, and hopefully the next time I do discuss Warner Brothers on this channel I'll have something more positive to say about them um, and what their their output is what their output is changing into but we'll see. Um, for now, the next episode of the season is going to be focusing on the Orville. Um, it's approaching its anniversary and, you know, being a very Star Trek related series, I thought it might be a good one to cover for Star Trek Day. Um, I'm also planning on doing a episode on Marvel and all the recent announcements that they've made. I am waiting until the D23 Expo um, on the second weekend of September, where I'm going to be covering that. Um, so hopefully that should be out very soon as well. Um, so yeah, the, there's a lot to look forward to this season. I'm going to be talking about some, some great things. Um, you know, there's some hints in my brand new banner image wherever you're listening to this podcast um, on some of the things that may be coming this season um, if you want to have a look. But, you know, if they're not coming this season, they might be coming next year as well because I've also got plans well into 2023 of what I want to cover on this podcast. Until then, though, um, there's nothing else to say. Except I wish you all the very best. I hope you all take the time to look after yourself, look after your mental health. And until next time, if you want to reach out to me, you can do it in all the usual places. Um, 
you know, I'm still trying to build this Discord. Uh, there's not many people there at the minute, but anyone who wants to join me on Discord can. Um, the podcast is currently taking a hiatus from YouTube due to some computer troubles, but I've got them fixed now, so hopefully we'll be back on YouTube very soon with this episode as well as several others. And yeah, until next time, my friends, you all look after yourselves. Take care, look after yourself and your mental health as best as you can. It's trying times and dwelling on the negatives can do nothing except make you more negative so let's try and remain positive and find some more fun things to look forward to shall we look after yourself my friends until next time thank you my friends for once again joining me on gardo goes geek Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast, we have a Discord community, small but growing, and and we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves.